What's up everybody and welcome to Anime Bebe, or should I say, what's new kangaroos? I'm your host Mikey, and behold, the mighty podcaster. Joined with me as always is... Oh, the monstrous grin, Ryan here. And on this episode, our sophomore outing if you will, we will be talking about what I think was one of the best animes of 2017. I'm of course referring to Interviews with Monster Girls, but before we get into that, let's quickly get you up to speed. Interviews with Monster Girls is based on a manga of the same name written by Petos and began in September of 2014 in Young Magazine the 3rd and is still going to this very day. The title in Japanese is actually different than the one we got in English as in Japan the title is called, uh, excuse me if I mispronounce this, uh, Demi-chan wa Katari Tai which translates to Demi's Want to Say. Why the radically different title in English? It's because the publisher, Kodansha, wanted a title that implied a connection between Interview with the Vampire and Daily Life with Monster Girl. <laughs> okay, that's kind of a weird little, like, connection there. Really, no other way they, you could have, like, they could have, like, spun that? No, I guess not. <laughs> the series received an anime adaptation in January of 2017 and ran until March of the same year and is produced by A1 Pictures. The show is directed by Ryo Ando, who, correct me if I'm wrong, made their directorial debut with this series. Oh, really? Yeah. Very nice. And now, at the time of this recording, Ryo Ando is currently directing the Tiger and Bunny spin-off, Double Decker, which is a good show, by the way. Oh, really? I haven't, like, caught that one yet, like, mainly because I, I haven't heard that it's, like, uh... It took me a long time to, like, hear that that one was actually a spin-off. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Because, <laughs> honestly, like, I, I love Tiger and Bunny, the initial anime, but I gotta say, like, the advertising for that has not been very good. No, not Because I should have known that that was a spin-off of Tiger and Bunny from the very get-go. I should have had my finger on the pulse of that. Right. And yet it slipped by. Yeah, it honestly took me a while for me to realize that was a spin-off, too. Mm. Why not have to give it and watch one of these days? You should. It's good. Monster Girls is also licensed by both Crunchyroll and Funimation during the time of their partnership and was part of Funimation's simuldub lineup for the winter 2017 season. The English dub is directed by Jade Saxton with scripts by Kristen McGuire. So with all that out of the way, we're talking interviews with Monster Girls, so without any further ado, let's start the show.
before we get right into it, I just want to talk to you a bit about the uh, the opening with the song original done by Trisail. Uh, what'd you think of it? Oh, it's gorgeous. It's a really like okay. I've I've heard some like pretty energetic like pop songy kind of anime intros out there, but. Uh, uh, and sometimes they kind of like put me off a little bit, like they're a little too like sugary sweet or something. But every now and then, like there's one that comes along that has that just right chord progression in it, that just knows like the right swells to take, that just kind of sweeps me away. And this is really one of those. It's 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 a it's very it really does sweep you off your feet a little. It really does. And also, I just love the uh, the visuals, the very pop up book uh, aesthetic to the entire uh, opening. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a really cute like uh, sort of way to go about it as well. Although. Um, doesn't it get a little, like, dubstepy like, halfway through, though? Just a little bit? Just a little bit. <laughs> like, that's the one part I could do without <laughs> in that entire intro. Yeah. But otherwise, it's quite fun. Yes, and also, I really like the, uh, you know, the bits where they're showing, like, each of the monster girls, and they have the little pop-up book thing in the background. I right, love, right. I love the bit where it gets to uh, Saki the Succubus, and then it, the whole thing is based off this old uh, Henry Fusili painting called Nightmare. Oh, really? Like, uh, oh, shoot. I should know this. I'm, I'm like, an, I'm a slight average, less than average art buff. <laughs> and I should know that painting. God, I gotta look that up later on. Yeah, just like, there's, uh, there's like a lot of comparisons to it online. Please do not tell me it features, like, or implies a horse fucking a woman. There is a horse in the original painting. <laughs> Please tell me it's not, like, meant in a sexual manner. Well, you can interpret it any way you want. Oh, isn't that just every painting out there, yeah. though? You really gotta, like, bring me back down to, like, reality with that, with, yeah. like, these painting things. Also, if I remember correctly, in the original painting, instead of a succubus, it's an incubus. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. So it's the boy version. Yeah. The less remembered version <laughs> of the succubus family. <laughs> All right, we're gonna kick off with episode one, Tetsuo Takahashi Wants an Interview. Kick off, we're introduced to Tetsuo Takahashi, played by Chris George, a high school biology teacher who has a fascination with a group of people known as demi-humans. What are demi-humans, you may ask? Basically, people with unique traits and characteristics that differ slightly from your average human. They've been used as basis for many myths, motifs, and fantasy stories in the past and were often persecuted for their differences. However, over the years, they've gradually been accepted into everyday society. It's that kind of setup that I uh, kind of like, I admit, where like they just kind of take uh, fantasy creatures and kind of bring them in real life and kind of try to explain the uh, biology around them. You know, it's basically like Troll Hunter, but without any of the horror <laughs> <laughs> or any of the giant CGI monsters. Right. Although uh, a troll girl would be interesting to see in a world like this. That would be interesting. Like, there are so many different types of, like, monsters, especially, like, not only just in, like, the, the Universal Monster Movie family, like... There are just so many opportunities for, like, different kinds of monster girls in future uh, stories like this. Japan, we're trying to sell you on this idea right now. Come on, you gotta get on this. Show us a story of a troll girl who is homeless and has to live under a bridge <laughs> to survive and is then brought into the lives and events of the people in this anime. Come on, we're trying to sell you on this idea. <laughs> we're trying to make you money. So Mr. Takahashi always been fascinated by demi-humans since his college days, as he wanted to base his college thesis on them. However, the college wouldn't allow it, since it's simply too difficult to get in touch with demi-humans to study them, due to the population being so small. Despite that, he wants to know more about them and wishes to have an opportunity to do so. Well, ask and ye shall receive, as on the first day of the new school year, we're introduced to the new math teacher, Saki Sato, played here by Morgan Garrett, who also happens to be a succubus. Now, my first question here <laughs> with with Takahashi here. Um, couldn't he maybe have, like, just found, like, a dating website for Demi? <laughs> like, tried to, like, contact a Demi through there? Like, couldn't he have just gone, like, because, again, it's not like they're, like, they can't be that big a rarity in this, like, kind of world. Like, I know, like, how they kind of explain it later on, you know, but, like, 
They cannot be that, like, uncommon to where, like, you can't, like, easily find them in, like, the modern era and stuff. Like, I imagine there's got to be some kind of dating site out there they can use where you're just like, hey, I'm a hot young werewolf. Uh, wanna, wanna hook up with me sometime? <laughs> Looking get a, to get a down and freaky and I'm, uh, I'm hungry like the wolf. Ha ha, LOL. <laughs> like a, like a demi-tinder? <laughs> Basically, a demi-tinder. Can you just go on there and just, like, impersonate a goblin or something? <laughs> and just, like, interview him or something? Like, I wonder. Oh, God. You think there's, there's, I'm just saying you gotta think there's gotta be that kind of service in this world. But I'm, a get, but I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> So Mr. Takahashi tries to introduce himself to her, but she backs off from him and desperately tries to avoid any physical contact. Because as you see, succubi are known to emit aphrodisiac effects, and being a succubus, Saki does everything she can to avoid physical contact, and also dresses as plainly as possible so she doesn't inadvertently raise any sexual feelings or desires in others. Yes, and unfortunately that does not also result in a higher libido so that they can actually, like, enjoy it too, so just normal person here. A few days later, Mr. Takahashi tries to apologize to Saki, and she does accept his apology, but she still cautiously backs away from him, saying that it's not you, it's me, and I just, I really love Morgan Garrett's performance here, and it'll only get better and better as the series goes on. Oh, she is fantastic as this character. She really sells it. Absolutely. I mean, I I imagine they needed somebody who could really portray somebody in, like, a flustered state, because... Mm -hmm. As we're seeing here, she's a very flustered character, and she will kind of remain like that throughout the series. She does that so well. <laughs> she does! She sells it really well, just in, like, in all of her, like, voice mannerisms and in her voice, like, mm-hmm. you know, shrieking and, like, yeah. breaking at points. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she, did, she pulled a fantastic job for the series. Absolutely. Oh, and speaking of performances that I love, let's get introduced to another character, Hikari Takanashi, played here by Bryn April, who runs up to Mr. Takahashi asking for help, only to realize she recognizes him. As you see in the opening scene to the show, they bumped into each other late at night in front of the school as uh, she explains this as Hikari was trying on her uniform the night before the new year began, and she was just so excited she couldn't wait to check out her new school, and that's where she bumped into Mr. Takahashi, who happened to also be passing by. Though she ran off almost instantly because, as you know, when you see a man whose size would make Mr. Shakedown from Yakuza Zero jealous in the middle of the night, you need to get the heck out of there. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd be afraid too. Like, I'm gonna lose all my yen in one, like, <laughs> sitting. Ikari knew what she was doing, and I love her line here where she was like, Go ahead, shower me with praise. <laughs> Indeed I shall, as holy shit is Burn April absolutely amazing as Hikari. Like, talk about the perfect casting choice, as her performance leaves me giddy and happy inside anytime Ikari is on screen. How many energy drinks did they put this woman on before they put her into the booth? Like, my god, the energy of this woman. I think that's actually her just in real life. (laughs) I would hope so. Like, I wouldn't want her to, like, you know, have to, like, down tons of uh, energy drinks just to get through this role, because it's an energetic role to get through. It is. It's like... Like, you gotta burn through a lot of energy playing this. It's also one of the roles where, like... You know, if I'm ever feeling blue or need some cheering up, I can just watch one of Hikari's scenes and just, my spirits are instantly lifted. Bryn April is just simply that powerful with her performance here. Oh yeah, she's just off the wall here with this character. In fact, I, it's thanks to her that I actually checked out this series in the first place. As a day or so before the first episode of the dub aired, she uh, tweeted out the night before that uh, she'll be playing Hikari and that she said that the character is basically her in real life. Oh, I see. So the perfect casting choice then for her. 
and I was like, oh, this I have to see. And, like, I was already a fan of her through roles like uh, Krista slash Historia from Attack on Titan, Cyan from Show by Rock, and Hiyori from Noragami, just to name a few. But I would say, like, her as Ikari is what turned me into, like, the Bryn April Supermark and head cheerleader for many roles that she's had since Ikari that you see today. Oh, yeah, I know. You're, like, the, you're like one of her biggest cheerleaders on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's enough marking out for now, as she needs Mr. Takahashi's assistance for one of her classmates has collapsed and needs to be taken to the nurse. And Mr. Takahashi says here, I can judge a student's health just by looking at their face. She's missing her face! <laughs> as the student in question happens to be a Doolahan, which is a creature whose head is separate from their body. I will try to keep the Dorabara jokes to a minimum here. <laughs> Oh, uh, you think do rah, rah, rah but, like, when I was looking at this, like, headless girl walking around with, like, very often her head being placed on, like, a flat surface, I couldn't help but think of, like, Tony Harrison from The Mighty Boosh. <laughs> <laughs> just this little, like, pink head or something with, like, out the tent, with, like, tentacles, you know? It's like, I just couldn't help but, like, think of this. <laughs> just kept expecting her at some point to just yell out, like, this is an outrage! <laughs> uh, it kind of killed me. So Ikari already took the Doolahan's head to the nurse, and she needed Mr. Takahashi to carry her body. Then all of a sudden, a bunch of other students come running in, carrying another demi-human on a stretcher, this time a snow woman who's feeling overheated. As you can see, Mr. Takahashi is having an eventful day, as there's just so many demi-humans just coming in and out of his life right now. This guy must have, like, hit, like been born under a lucky star or something, because, like, good god, man, he, like, hit the jackpot this day. Like, he spent most of his life through his college years, like, not, go not meeting any demi-humans at all, and then all of a sudden, he meets, like... At least three right off the bat. He's gonna be thinking like, oh my god, was it would it always be this easy? <laughs> <laughs> Asking you shall receive, I guess. And this day gets even more eventful as Hikari reveals herself to be a vampire. He tells her all about how he's just in shock with all the demi-humans he's seen in one day, considering he couldn't meet any at all, and he's just so happy to see this many. Though Hikari does uh, set him straight as the term demi-human is severely outdated and not at all cutesy. They prefer the term demi. What's the difference? Like, like, I can understand, like, a more, like, scientific term, you know, but it's not, like, too far off from each other. It's, it's a little cutesy, and I think it's also relating to how, in Japanese, they're referred to as demi-chans. Oh, okay, so that kind of makes sense. Later on, Hikari introduces Mr. Takahashi to her fraternal twin sister, Himari Takanashi, played here by Jamie Markey, who, unlike Hikari, is more level-headed and not so hyper. And also, unlike Hikari, she's not a demi, she's just a regular, average human. I guess in, the, I guess in a show like this, or when you're, I, I, I mean, rather, when you're uh, dealing with a character like this, I suppose you do kind of need another character to uh, kind of set them straight a little bit with a rational mind. Also, with her being, like, a regular human, it kind of reminds me a bit of, uh, remember in, like, the Munsters, where they have, like, that one daughter who was just a regular human, whereas the rest of her family are all, like, Frankensteins and werewolves and vampires. Oh, right, right. So it was, it was like, a standard of normality in that show. Yeah. So just like that, we've kind of got one, uh, we've got one extra one here. Mm -hmm. At least within the family structure of one of the Demis. Right. After Himari leaves uh, Mr. Takahashi, he asks Hikari if he can learn more about vampires in general, and she agrees in exchange for letting her visit the biology prep room whenever she wants. Meanwhile, let's get formally introduced to the dual hand from earlier, Kyoko Machi, played here by Terry Doty, who's having a chat with some of her classmates, though she does take notice that they're clearly avoiding talking about her being a dual hand and all. You'd think it'd be kind of a sensitive subject at first for some people, like, you don't want to, like, freak out at first and be all like, oh my god, how does your head work? And there's bombarder with questions. Yeah, she's, like, talking about how, like, it's a little hard carrying your head to school, and then one of the students is like, uh, hey, check out this cat video, isn't it great? Meowabunga! <laughs> <laughs> Back with Mr. Takahashi, it's time to have an interview with the vampire. Oh! There you go. 
God, why didn't we, like, do the series, like, during the month of October? Right. <laughs> <laughs> would have been perfect. It would have been. Oh, well, better better late than never. Mm-hmm. We learn that vampires are very sensitive to the sunlight, which is why she wants to visit the biology prep room since it's cool and shady. Not to mention she doesn't want to force her classmates to sit in the dark just for her sake. Also, Ikari debunks many vampire myths as she finds garlic delicious, crosses her so last year, but she does say a stake through the heart will most definitely kill her. It would kill most anyone. <laughs> <laughs> now, the I actually, as we were going, as I was going through the series, I kind of realized more and more that uh, I had some questions for these monster girls as well. I mean, like, let's be honest: if you met a vampire or a Dullahan or um, a succubus in real life, you'd have a lot of good questions for them. Maybe not all of them, uh, the most professional, <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, journalist inside of me. Just uh, had to jot down a few questions, actually, as I was doing this watching. <laughs> Very good. And I hope to, uh, throughout this throughout this podcast, uh, unveil some of those and hopefully uh, get some answers by bouncing off my best friend here. <laughs> so, um, first question here. Is she offended by uh, Vampire's uh, portrayal in uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? <laughs> Does she look at a character like Dio and just get, like, pissed off like you've never seen before, and just be like, that's not how vampires are! <laughs> Do vampires in such a universe like this look at Arky and wonder if he is setting back vampires for years? <laughs> that is the question I had. I would think it would be kind of, uh, at least with Hikari, it would kind of be a mixed response. On the one hand, she would understand that Dio is absolutely evil incarnate, and you should hate him. But on the other hand, it's friggin' Dio. He's like... The coolest character in the, in the entire series. <laughs> That's what I would imagine. That's what I imagine. I mean, again, I'm not a vampire, so I don't know what it would feel like, really. But uh, those, that's just one of the questions I kind of had here. Also, I'm now just imagining her, like, dressing up as, like, Dio wearing, like, the all-yellow jacket and pants and, like, the entire ensemble. Okay, please commission that from an artist online, because that'd be incredible. You can have Mr. Takahashi play, like, the Jotaro role, and you can have, like, that great shot where, like, Dio's approaching Jotaro. If we ever meet Bryn April in person, we need to have her do that voice. <laughs> we need to have her do the voice for the... <laughs> we we gotta ask her, man. Or the, it was I, Hikari. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Let's hope Bryn April never meets us. We're gonna be asking her to do Dio lines as he <laughs> constantly... <laughs> Oh, and on a side note, I should mention that uh, when she pulls up the uh, picture of, like, the vampire with the stake in his heart, uh, that's actually a picture of uh, Christopher Lee's portrayal of Dracula in the 1958 film. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Weird little, like, anime appearance for, like, Christopher there. Yeah, uh, Sir Christopher Lee. Ah, Sir Christopher Lee. You, yes, sir, you are finally in, uh, featured somewhat in some way in an anime. You should feel proud. So uh, you had your uh, questions for uh, vampires. I kind of have a bit of a question here because I'm wondering how she feels about the whole like uh, vampire sparkling thing from the uh, Twilight craze of the, oh, of the aughts. <laughs> another I, another case of how maybe an author could have represented misrepresented vampires. Though I have a feeling that maybe she's disappointed she can't sparkle because otherwise she would be constantly in the sunlight saying, Hey guys, check me out, aren't I dazzling? Oh, you're right, it would be the worst idea ever. <laughs> she would just be showing off everywhere. <laughs> you would just be like out like during like a track meet or something and she'd just be sparkling all the way and just like, just bombarding the other runners with like her <laughs> sparkly body, <laughs> blinding them all. 
And another thing is that vampires don't necessarily need blood to live. They mostly need it so they don't feel anemic, but if they don't spend too much time in the sun and watch what they eat, they can get by just fine. Though the government does send vampires a blood pack once a month, which is more than enough for them to get by, and Ikari substitutes drinking blood with tomato juice, as it feels like uh, drinking blood. Good god, good job, like, good job, Japanese government. You're actually, like, supporting your demis pretty well out there. Yeah. <laughs> now if only you could support your gays well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Though the whole uh, substituting tomato juice with drinking blood, I just kind of get big bang of uh, Adventure Time vibes here. You know how Marceline would just like drink red from anything that's red and it's like just as good as blood. Ah, uh, yeah. And there are even vampires out there who can even get by without drinking any blood at all. And he kind of compares them to vegetarians about how they can get by without eating any meat. <laughs> Which is a good comparison, honestly. Yeah, it's kind of good. I wonder if there's like a whole like vampire vegetarian culture around it too. Mm -hmm. I wonder what a vegan would be in vampire culture. A vegan in vampire culture? Yeah. I think that would just be straight up, like, drinking tomato juice or something. Mm -hmm. Or, like, just, like, oh, I don't know. You would have to drink, like, almost like a blood substitute thing or something. I don't even know. Like, uh, blended up tofu just with, with uh, red dye? Oh, my God, that sounds horrible. It does. <laughs> but maybe to some people it might sound delicious. I do not want to imagine a vegan vampire now. <laughs> So Mr. Takahashi asks if she ever gets the urge to bite someone and drink their blood, and Ikari says she often fantasizes about biting the snow woman from earlier because she's so cold but her blood is warm. But she doesn't do it, of course, because she doesn't want a snow woman to hate her. That would be mean. That would just be weird. Yeah. <laughs> he then asks her about the implication when it comes to sucking blood as a whole, as in vampire folklore, blood sucking is often meant to be a metaphor for uh, sex, which uh, causes Ikari to get all embarrassed and flustered as she's not like that at all. <laughs> Well, it's a valid question to ask about vampires. Like, mm -hmm. what's your opinion on the on the whole like sex thing? You know? Yeah, because wasn't that the whole point of uh, what uh, Bram Stoker was going for when he wrote Dracula? Yeah, just demonizing a bunch of sex. You know. Mr. Takahashi feels he's got enough info for now and sends Hikari on her merry way. But before she leaves, she moves in to maybe take a bite from his neck. But she just pranks him by poking him with two pencils on the on the neck. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I mean, if you're a demi like this, you gotta have like a sense of humor. And sense of humor, she does have. I love the back and forth here where he's like, keep your teeth to yourself. Ooh, that sounds pervy. <laughs> <laughs> a good sample of like the great chemistry these two characters have throughout the show as well. Absolutely. They just bicker with each other like they're best friends. It's they excellent. are. It's just the best. Like this, this is the true relationship goal right here. Mm -hmm. In any kind of relationship, this right. is the ideal right here. It is. These two characters, this biology teacher and this vampire. <laughs> a match made in heaven. After school, Hikari approaches Machi, giving her an affectionate nickname, Machikin, and asks her some questions about being a dual hand. The other students are quite surprised about this, but Machi is actually very open about discussing her demi-nature, and isn't ashamed to talk about being a dual hand. Hikari and her immediately hit it off, and Hikari gets the idea and suggests that Machi should go speak with Mr. Takahashi, you know, give him some information on uh, dual hands. And we get a really cute scene here where uh, Machi sends her body to Mr. Takahashi, carrying a note, thanking him for helping her earlier, carrying her to the nurse's office, and then asks if she could come by sometime to give him some information on dual hands. And then he writes her a note back and puts it in her hand, and then says, come back, come by anytime. <laughs> well, it's very, like, high school crushy in, a, in like, a funny little way. Which is a great tie-in to what comes up next. Yes, episode two, Doolahan Sean wants to be coddled. So let's learn more about Doolahan, shall we? First thing I want to say is how much I like Machi. She is an absolute sweetheart. She's just so nice, it hurts. Oh, she's such a cutie in this series. She's just so adorable in everything she does. She is, and also I gotta give it up to Terry Doty here, as she really gets over Machi's kind and caring nature super well, and then some. I would say, like, Machi is one of the cutest characters she's 
ever played as an actress. Oh, without a doubt. And also, uh, for the most part, Terry Doty tends to play characters who are more uh, deeper and register. So it's great to hear her play someone with a higher register when she's given the opportunity. So dual hands, as stated before, are beings whose heads are separate from their bodies, and there's a little flame coming out of their neck where their heads should be, and that are most commonly known through uh, Irish legend. As for the flame, you can touch it, but it puts a lot of pressure on Machi's nerves, so her body is not a separate entity, as she's free to control it however she wants. Another weird mystery. Like, she's definitely the most, like abstract looking of all the monster girls we see in the series. Yeah, like, I remember when I first saw, like, pictures for the series, I'm just like, okay, I really want to know how, like, in the show's kayfabe do they explain Dula Hands in this universe. <laughs> I know, it's a g good question that will sort of be answered later, mm -hmm. although there's still some theories that could be lent to it. I was betting money on magic for a while, <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized, oh, that's probably going to open up a whole can of worms in this world, isn't it? She also says that it's fine to keep her head and body long distances away from each other, as she mentions a time when she visited her grandparents and they took too long saying her goodbye while her body was like still waiting on the train and then the train just left with her body still on it and they still had her head. Oh god, <laughs> runaway body. <laughs> you can just imagine it like freaking out on the subway, just yeah. banging to get out. <laughs> As for everyday life, Machi says it's a lot of trial and error, but her parents help her out, like giving her a harness strapped to her body so she can eat, or even putting her head in a sling while she takes a bath. Though the part she really struggles with is interacting with other people. Her classmates are very distant towards her, and she wishes she could be more comfortable with the demi part of her. Now here's a question I had for this girl. I had probably the most questions <laughs> out of all these monster girls about Machi here. Chief among them, has she ever tried duct tape? <laughs> Has she ever just tried to, like... I know I know. there's, like, the whole neck factor we're, de we're dealing with here. Like, she's, like, she's like no-neck Joe here. <laughs> but has she ever just tried, like, super glue or something? <laughs> or, like, double-sided tape? Just to, just tried it once. You think the flame would be a problem there? I know, right? You think it would, like, get in the way of some things or yeah. something. But no, it's just, like, very benign. It doesn't, yeah. like, do anything, really. So Mr. Takahashi makes a suggestion on how she should, like, break the ice with the other students about making it okay for them to talk about her doula hand side, and the way thing he suggests is to tell some jokes about her so they know where the line is when it comes to talking about her doula hand nature. Ah, yes, humor is always a good way to break the ice with these things. So basically, Machi needs a really strong pun game. Ooh, that's gonna be tough. Because head puns, they, you, you can run low, you can deplete those real quick, or they can get tired real quick. It'd be it'd be like that one scene in uh, Austin Powers 2 where, like, he makes a ton of head puns for, like, two minutes straight, and then it just starts to run dry. <laughs> <laughs> her pun game has to be so good to the point where, like, as soon as her puns are getting bad, she tells another one, and it goes right back to being funny again. <laughs> like, goes so far below it, a zero becomes a ten. Precisely. Oh man, she, Machi, you've got a lot of training to go here. <laughs> yeah, got a lot of work. Get some joke book together. He mentions that she's the first dual hand her classmates have ever seen since there's only about three in the world. I don't know about you, but rumor has it there's one running around in Ikebukuro. I wonder if uh, Mr. Takahashi has an old scientist buddy named Shinra who lives around there. Maybe he's seen uh, one, of, one of those dual hands. <laughs> you should ask him about that. I think, you, I think you can also ask him about uh, this new girlfriend he has. Probably told him that uh, she has a good head on her shoulders, eh? <laughs> just couldn't get by without the do ra ra reference no i commend you i could not i mean it's like right there i know right like what other anime has like a prominent headless girl you yeah. know oh man get like some fan art of like machi and salty together that'd be great <laughs> so machi asks a favor and she wants him to hold her head in his big muscly beefcake arms okay like 
that was a little weird when I saw that. <laughs> yeah. She does explain that uh, her parents used to do that, and it really comforts her, but, like, they feel that since she's in high school now, she's a little too old for it, but she still hasn't quite outgrown it just yet. Right, right. Sometimes she just needs, like, a nice, good, soft, rock-hard abs to, like, be rubbed up against. Yeah. Side note, holy Jesus, Mr. Takahashi jacked. <laughs> like, god So damn. it's not as readily apparent in these early episodes, but as the series goes on, <laughs> it becomes more readily apparent that this guy is, like, Swole. He is. Did he, like, major in, like, nutrition and bodybuilding in college, too? God, even I blush around this guy. <laughs> Jeez. So, the reason she wants this is because it makes her feel safe, as I said before. A record scratch, as the moment is interrupted by Hikari witnessing the whole thing. And then she gets, like, a devious little smirk on her face, runs out the room, opens up a window, and just shouts out, Hey, you guys! I got the juiciest gossip ever! God damn it, Hikari! <laughs> you little shit. I love you. <laughs> I love her so much. God bless you, Hikari. And then Mr. Takahashi ends up chasing her away. Should have, just should have just chucked Machi's head at her. <laughs> Headbutt. <laughs> so on their way home from school, Hikari and Machi run into the snow woman, Yuki Kusakabe, played here by Sarah Wiedenhef. Hikari jumps on her to give her a sneak hug attack and asks if she wants to walk home with them, but Yuki declines. And then I love, as she's walking away, Hikari gives like this little farewell where she says, Take care, polar bear. <laughs> like there's a lot of that in the show and I really love it. Right, a little, like, like just those like little like endear, like term, what would you call it? Like terms of endearment almost? Yeah. Or like sort of like little like lackadaisical mm -hmm. kind of everyday words we just use. Yeah. And Hikari does mention to Machi that even though Yuki is on the shy side, she's still a really nice girl, as we will see as the series goes on. And then as uh, Hikari and Machi go their separate ways, uh, Hikari notices that Machi is juggling her head in her school bag while she tries to answer her cell phone, so she's kind of noticing her struggle a bit when it comes to being a dual hand at this moment here. The next day, while talking to Hikari, she's, like, ecstatic to find out that Machi really wants to go out on a date with a guy one of these days. And though Machi's a little nervous about the thought, Hikari reassures her that tons of people would love to go on a date with a dual hand, especially considering that being a dual hand means she can do things others can't. Wink. <laughs> so, that leads into another one of my questions. Yes. So, has she ever tried to suck herself off? Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. I'm just saying, I've, no I've noticed the question comes up in some animated works out there. I mean, there was a whole episode of Metalocalypse that dealt with this question. Like, if you're, like this question has been proposed in, cl in Clerks, too. I'm just, I'm just saying, does, is there a resultant happier life with this ability? Jeez. <laughs> it's a question on, like, many people's minds out there. Mostly just, like, really, like, freaky guys who have nothing better to do with their lives, but still. God damn it. Will you stop? <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask it once, man. I had to ask it once. And I love this back and forth here uh, with between Hikari and Machi, where Machi's all like, You're amazing, Hikari. Do you have any experience with this sort of thing? And then Hikari responds with, Yes, of course. And by of course, I mean not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the lucky guy that Machi's interested, you may ask? Why, it's Mr. Takahashi. Well, that was quick. I guess she doesn't have too many options in her life, or doesn't know many guys. So, upon hearing this, our little vampire troll here calls up Mr. Takahashi and sets him and Machi up on a date under the guise of an experiment. So, Mr. Takahashi goes out and shops with Machi's head while Hikari keeps Machi's body at her house. 
basically body babysitting here. Oh, Hikari, your dating game is so good right here. Such a great strategy. <laughs> She's a good wingman. <laughs> so while on their date, Hikari just sits and observes Machi's body fidgeting around at one point, kind of doing a bit of a thriller dance. <laughs> and I love this line where she says, what is it, girl? Is Timmy stuck in the well? <laughs> You gotta have fun with a situation like this. Just a headless body that just doesn't know what to do with itself. Also, if I remember correctly, uh, I think it's meant it was mentioned like on Twitter during the uh, simuldub airing that that line was actually an ad lib. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it makes me think that like Machi should really learn like some sign language or something. It would really help out like in some situations. Yeah. I think. But Machi is enjoying herself while spending time with Mr. Takahashi, and with her body, she writes down a note for Ikari, thanking her for setting this whole thing up. Ikari's happy that it's going well, perhaps even too well, as she can't allow that, so she gets in front of Machi's body and then just jabs her fingers into her chest, which freaks her out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why do, you do why do you do this? Ikari, you slag! <laughs> My last Mighty Boosh reference, sadly. <laughs> and I just love that Machi just gets really ticked off and just like gets on top of the table and just starts flailing her arms around. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing me, I would just be like tripping up the body constantly throughout the house. Being a dick. <laughs> hey, if Hikari, if, if Kikari has like carte blanche here to do it, like so would I. <laughs> it's comedy gold. <laughs> While taking a break at a cafe, Machi brings up Yuki to Mr. Takahashi and how she's worried about her, so Mr. Takahashi thinks about looking out for her at school. And we get a cute little gag here as uh, Machi really needs to go to the bathroom and Hikari has to lead her body to the bathroom back at her house. And all while this is going on, Himari comes home and she just sees her sister guiding a headless body to a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Top five weirdest things I've seen today. <laughs> Now, this is where Hikari's game was not so good, because knowing me, I would have totally brought her to, my, to like, my sister's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, toilet's right over here, right over here, right above, like, her stuffed toys. <laughs> so the rest of the date and slash experiment goes well, and they head back to Hikari's house to reunite Machi with her body. As she leaves, Hikari asks Mr. Takahashi to do something else for Machi. She wants him to ask the school permission for her to use a backpack rather than a regular school bag so she can keep both hands on her head as she walks. So this relates to what Hikari saw earlier with Machi juggling her head in books and everything. Ah, oh, so nice. She is. And Mr. Takahashi does this the next day at school, and Saki notices this and starts to realize, oh, this, this guy might be pretty good. Also, uh, she does take note of his, uh, of his guns. <laughs> Who wouldn't, I guess? I mean, it's just, Mr. Takahashi. Wow! <laughs> I mean, come on, Vince McMahon would be, like, just spooging over this guy. Oh, yeah, he'd be wanting to get all over this guy just to try and, like, conscript him. Just, Mr. Takahashi, don't tease me. <laughs> oh, look at the legs, they're just so... Even a guy who cavorts with monster girls—that would have to be a pretty good like wrestling hook there. That would be. So we're on to episode three. Succubus-san is a real adult. My alternate title for this one was also uh, "Succubus Can't Fuckubus." <laughs> God damn it! I would say it's apt. Yeah. <laughs> So while we're on the subject of Saki, let's get to know more about her, as we get to see her daily routine here, as she wakes up every day at 4 a.m. in the morning. Jesus Christ. That way, so she can catch the earliest train to school, so she doesn't run into anybody as to not risk affecting them with her aphrodisiac effect. 
She's the first one to arrive, so she tends to, like, tidy up everything in school pretty much out of sheer boredom. Because, like, what else are you going to do? Then, at the end of the day, to avoid crowds again, she has to take the last train home and gets home late at night. So, I'm guessing that she doesn't get much sleep at night. Has she ever considered a night shift as a janitor? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she loves being a teacher, so it's like, you gotta... Gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet here. Night classes. There we go. There's the solution. Also, another thing is when she's taking the train at home, she has to avoid sleeping on it as Succubi have the ability to give people uh, very sexy dreams when they sleep. Oh my god. It's actually kind of terrifying. It is. And that's also the (laughs) reason. You sleep around like a succubus and like all of a sudden you just like wake wake up having creamed your pants. (laughs) And this is also the reason why she lives alone in a secluded house in the middle of the woods. So she can like use that power against uh, any people around her. Ah, poor thing. Yeah, so she just has to live pretty much a very lonely life. And on top of all this, she often dreams of one day finding a nice guy, settling down with him, and maybe even starting a family. And this would be a cinch for her being a succubus and all. She can use her aphrodisiac effect, but she believes that the the relationship wouldn't be genuine because she's just basically cheating here. Now, my first question for the succubus here for Saki. Um, has she ever considered using her sweat to uh, be sold as an aphrodisiac? <laughs> I'm just saying, and I, I, th- I feel like I'm going to say that a lot, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> There's something lucrative in that. There's something lucrative. I'm just saying. Major bucks. Like a human horn from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There could be there could be some money in there in some like dystopian Futurama world. <laughs> <laughs> also one thing I really want to point out is that uh you ever notice in anime how like Japan really loves the whole single woman angle who can find uh can't find a boyfriend and isn't just generally lonely? Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird little like trope that keeps like popping up in like Japanese works. Yeah, like I've seen that in, in a ton of anime, but in this case, this is actually a really clever way to go about it. Yeah, I suppose. Like, I don't know. Yeah, there's something that they're so fascinated about with like the whole like like single like female kind of like story structure thing or something. Mm-hmm. Like, is it just inherently funny to them culturally the idea of like a woman who's like not married? And, like, just isn't doing stuff for her husband or something. I would believe it is, because, like, it's also up there with, like, Woman Can't Cook is, like, a lot of, like, running gags in a lot of different Japanese shows and movies and stuff. Oh, yeah, I hate, I, I just hate those, like, yeah. small little tropes and stuff. Like, who cares if they can't cook? Like, who cares if, like, they're alone or something? Yeah. Just fucking leave them alone. Yeah. But here, like, uh, they actually do the whole, like, lonely woman thing very well here and, like, actually give it a, a good enough reason for that to be the case not just a good reason a bit of a tragic reason too yeah like, like this this woman lives a bit of a sad life yeah like this isn't funny this is like very like depressing to watch i know just like just wondering if like the only reason you could ever get into a relationship is by suckering in somebody with your hormones mm-hmm. i should mention like uh, on a side thing is that uh, when saki she's a bit of a beer drinker here and when she drinks she drinks like a misato from evangelion <laughs> <laughs> like the very exact same like pose and everything Oh, like, very similar clothing, too. Yeah, especially that. Speaking of which, Evangelion coming to Netflix next year. Oh, boy. So the next day at school, while walking in the hall, Saki trips and is caught by Mr. Takahashi, and when he helps her up, he's holding her hand. Woo! <laughs> However, he seems to be perfectly fine and not at all affected by her succubus ability. And because of that lack of attraction, Saki starts to fall for him. And I'm just like, I'm reminded of Boa Hancock falling for Luffy in One Piece, because this is almost the exact same reason why she <laughs> falls for him. Oh my god, this man has no sexual attraction to me. So hot. <laughs> <laughs> Giving me the vapors. <laughs> Another question I had for uh, Saki here as well. Um, asexual dating apps? <laughs> 
asexuals, period. They they exist out there in every country. But would they want to date? Uh, no, 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 no. Asexuals date. They date. Like, they still have, like, romantic relationships and stuff. Bojack Horseman taught me all about this. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, dating, like, apps out there and stuff, too, for him, you know? Like... Mm. Yeah, Saki, there's an option out there for you. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. That's probably the other, like, part of this, too. She probably does want to have sex with the partner. Ah, there you go. Yeah, so it might, so maybe for her, it's a bit harder to find that kind of partner who can, like, kind of resist those charms and still mm-hmm. wants to have some kind of sexual relationship in the end that's not driven by hormones. I don't really know how that works, but I'm sure there are people out there who agree that's a possible thing. You gotta dig deeper into it. Yeah, exactly. That takes uh, more digging than what I'm uh, capable of for one podcast. Mm. So yeah, Mr. Takahashi seems to be completely unaffected. Or is he? Uh, he was affected by her, but he was able to keep it together to the, for the most part. As he walks away, he just, like, ducks behind a wall and then just, like, clutches at his chest and then, like, his legs get all super weak and everything. My god, do you, like, collapse around these horsemen, or collapse around when this lady sweats or something? Yeah. Like, my god, it's gotta yeah. be that strong. And great line here where he's like, Sucky Byer's super sexy. I think I'm dying. <laughs> just like I just want to say like another thing about the dub. Chris George as Mr. Takahashi is really good here. Oh yeah, he, he he knows just how to like reach those like highs and lows with the character, and like just knows just right how to get flustered just right. So later, Mr. Takahashi, presumably after making sure his little general isn't at attention anymore, writes up his report on his demi findings so far, and Ikari makes her wait in to get a look. Specifically in his rapport, when it comes to vampires, he's curious about the connection between blood-sucking and romance, which embarrasses Hikari, but she tries to play it off like she isn't. You see, Mr. Takahashi is wondering, how far does blood-sucking go? Like, is it more than a kiss, but less than sex? Sex. 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 The question just echoes in her mind. (laughs) Don't you say that word. What word? Sex! <laughs> What's so unappealing about hearing your grown-up teacher talk about sex? God damn it! You got to the Simpson reference before me. <laughs> <laughs> Beat you to it. God damn it! You are you are kicking my ass at this stuff. <laughs> so Ikari is feeling so awkward during this whole conversation, and Mr. Takahashi notices, so he tries to change the subject by saying that since the government gives vampires blood, there's really no reason to suck blood anymore. But then he starts to think that maybe because of that, then wouldn't blood-sucking be more taboo, thus more like sex? And Hikari is just dying of embarrassment at this point. (laughs) But then she breaks the tension by giving him a little kiss on the cheek. I bet Hikari was thinking that she just needed a way to end the conversation and this was the best thing she could think of. Yeah, just improvise, improvise. (laughs) I'm out. And I like how Mr. Takahashi practically no-sold being kissed by one of his students. Just has a blank expression and he's like, ah, I get it now. (laughs) And Ikari says that it is much easier to give someone a kiss rather than suck their blood, which he adds to the report much to Hikari's chagrin. So wonder how other demis deal with love? Let's find out as we look in on Saki and Machi. Machi asks Saki if she has any romantic experience considering how beautiful she is, and the reason she's asking is because she wants some advice. As you see, Machi has a crush on someone, that being Mr. Takahashi. Oh, and Saki does not take that news well. Upon hearing this, Saki's like, I do too. (laughs) Just like, she's just so defeated by like, yeah, I love this guy. Now I know what I'm going to say next is going to sound weird and kind of perverse, but did you notice that she was like fingering like sex books? Yeah, I noticed <laughs> on that. On the shelf. I caught that too. I'm sorry I had to, I'm sorry I had to use the term uh, fingering there. 
<laughs> but like just to like further drive it home in the anime she's just like you know flicking out like books you know that are just on like various topics like i swear wasn't them like one of them like the kama sutra or something i believe so yeah oh, I, I i don't know the exact image in my head but yeah they all just like had to deal with the subject yeah very subtle animators so Machi wonders if Mr. Takahashi wouldn't be interested in her because she's so childish. Uh, no, he wouldn't be interested in you because you're a student and he's a teacher. Yeah, there's the, that's a pretty big boundary <laughs> you don't pass. Unless you're playing Persona 5. Right. <laughs> in which case, go for it. <laughs> so Saki tells her that uh, most adults aren't exactly mature as she thinks, and adults tend to fake it till they make it to appear more mature and cool in front of their students because they just simply want to be accepted. Really? Fake it till you make it? That was the best advice you could come up with? <laughs> Sorry, I just heard that like repeated by many people before, and it's like just like... I don't know, it gets to the point where it just loses all meaning, but hey, I guess if, like, nobody's ever heard it before, I guess it's good advice. And a great back and forth here, where Machi's like, does that include you as well, Miss Sato? And Saki's like, that's for me to know. It does. <laughs> <laughs> this poor repressed woman. <laughs> but Mr. Takahashi seems to be the exception to this, as there's nothing fake about him. Very friendly, dependable, knows when to help, knows when to keep his boundaries. And his arms are totally rocking. <laughs> they are so rocking. That nobody can deny. Nobody. Uh, meanwhile, Yuki, she's walking in the hall when suddenly she overhears a couple of girls talking smack about her. These girls in question are Imori, played here by Michelle Rojas, and Kimura, played by Jeannie Tirado. As earlier in the day, she rejected one of the boys in her class as he was asking her out and she turned him down. And these girls saw the whole thing go down and they think she was just being like a prissy princess stuck up and a snob and everything. And they just continued to say really, really awful and hurtful things about her in this oh, moment. Nasty. Just, oh my god, just some of the worst things you'd ever hear. After this, Mr. Takashi just finds her alone and then crying and all while releasing a lot of cold air around her. Just, poor Yuki. Yuki tells Mr. Takahashi about what happened and wonders if this is all because she's a Demi. She thinks that everything would be much easier if she wasn't a Demi and then just starts breaks down crying right there and like this is just so heartbreaking to watch man yeah it is pretty sad like i actually kind of teared up watching this like when for this podcast i'm just like no just don't be sad yuki it's, everything's gonna be okay right right like anybody can kind of empathize with that getting like shit talked by your like fellow students behind your back so he consoles her and then he notices that when she cries her tears also freeze into little icicle balls so uh, save that for later and before the scene ends we see that hikari overheard the entire thing Later on, Mr. Takahashi is in the library doing some work, wondering how he can help with the whole situation when Saki walks in. She takes a moment to apologize for how she acted to him when they first met, and also commends him for helping Machi get permission to use a backpack. Though he admits that it was all Hikari's idea and that she deserves all the credit. He goes on to say that despite all his best interests, he's clueless about many things when it comes to Demi, so Saki decides to offer him some help. She makes her case by stating that she's a teacher too, after all, and also a Demi, while getting up in Mr. Takahashi's face and, like, inadvertently pressing her chest up against his face, and he's, like, doing everything in his power not to stare at her. <laughs> it's like he's just trying to, like, force push his boner down. <laughs> And I just love that uh, the little uh, animation detail is like he's drinking like a little carton of tomato juice and like after like the scene ends, after Saki's done talking, you can see that he just crushed it in his hands and like <laughs> squeezed out all the juice. Oh yes, more uh, subtle symbolism. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> anime. <laughs> also, yeah, I just love Saki when she gets so excitable and overly dramatic in scenes like this. Oh yeah, she plays off really well with uh, Takahashi here, she really does. Mm -hmm. You can really kind of believe these two hooking up somewhere down the road. Oh man, Saki, Takahashi, OTP5 ever, man. Ooh, yeah, one of the truest OTBs out there. 
So Mr. Takahashi goes on to tell Saki all about what's going on with Yuki, and after doing some sleuthing, he found out that those girls who were bad-mouthing her are no strangers when it comes to gossiping about others, so they've done this many times before, and they just so happen to get to Yuki this time around. Before they can figure out why Yuki's so distant and ashamed of her demi-nature, they need to deal with these gossip girls. So this looks like a job for everyone's favorite vampire! Ikari confronts the girls about what they did to Yuki, and she lays the verbal smackdown on them in an absolutely amazing scene, like, Yeah, girl! Defend your friend! Hot damn, it's so good, I just have to, like, splice it in right here. to give those girls a piece of my mind. You wait out here and listen, okay? Whatever action you take, I'll still respect you. Can't he find someone his own age? Ew, have you seen his face? It's doubtful. True He'd enough. be lucky if he could even. What's up? Can't you see we're busy? Oh, you're that vampire. Takanashi? Hey, everyone's tired of your dumb trash talk. So just cut it out already. Huh? I get it. She means Kusakabe. You're defending her because you're both Demis, right? That's so cute. No! I'd be here even if Yuki wasn't a Demi. It doesn't matter if you're Demi or human. Everyone deserves respect. Talking trash about someone behind their back is wrong. I can't physically stop you two from pursuing your sad little hobby. But every time I hear you talking smack about someone, I will be right there to call you on it. If you want to gossip in peace, then you had better make sure I'm not around to catch wind of it. Uh, Mister, it's not like we're the only ones bad-mouthing people. Everyone does it. So why are you singling us out? Don't worry, you won't be alone. I'm putting the whole school on alert. Anyone caught smack-talking will have to deal with me. You're some kind of social justice warrior? Everyone talks about other people behind their back. <sighs> that is literally the worst excuse that you could come up with. Everyone else is hurting people, so you think you're allowed to do it too? You should be ashamed that left your mouth. Whatever happened to treating others the way you'd want to be treated? So you've never bad-mouthed anyone before? Absolutely not. If I have a beef with someone, I say it to their face like I am right now. Whatever, that won't stop people from talking about you. I know it won't. I'm sure that as soon as I leave, you two chatterboxes will start running your mouths about me. Uh, sorry. Uh, that was kinda rude of me. I shouldn't have said it that way. Uh, um, okay. I'm aware that people who don't trash-talk others still get trash-talked. They're probably the easiest targets, but I've made up my mind. I can't control how others behave. I can only control myself, and I refuse to do anything I might regret! Are you... crying? Anyway, I've said what I came to say. That's all. I don't necessarily agree with everything you just said, but still, I think you're cool for saying it. But why did you do this? Because I made a promise. I made a promise to my sister. Her sister? Himari, I think? <laughs> just 
Wow, what a performance by Bryn April. Just based on that scene alone, I hope everyone will know why I'm such a huge fan and advocate for her. Oh yeah, it's it's the, it's the kind of speech that really gets you behind her in the series, you know, that just it's a, it's a speech that you just give a lot of mad respect to her for. Absolutely, and I just I remember when the simul dub of this episode aired and like after that scene, I took to Twitter to just gush to her about how awesome she is. I was just like, oh my god, you're amazing. Because right, it requires a quite, a, quite a bit of a seriousness from the actor there, especially one who's normally been so like bubbly thus far. Handled with such grace, you know? Also, I gotta give it up to uh, director Jade Saxton, because a great actor needs an even greater director. Um, yeah, pulled the scene off with flying colors. And of course, Kristen McGuire for uh, adapting the scripts for the scene. Dub aside, the scene is like really good, and like like you said, a character like Hikari is usually happy and cheerful. She was the one who stood up to those girls, and her getting serious in this moment didn't feel out of place. Like you can totally get see her doing this for like anyone. Yeah, a big character defining moment for her. Like she's totally the kind of person who would like just help out anyone who's hurting in any way. And like she's just such a good person. And I just love that in the end, this whole speech actually worked as Hikari giving those girls a piece of her mind worked and like they just stopped their bullying because I believe they were just so impressed with her standing up to them. I know, somebody was changed in the end. That's a, that's, that's a miracle by today's standards. I bet they were all like, damn girl, you really told us. Hashtag don't be a bully, hashtag be a star. <laughs> what else can I simply say but glorious? Oh yes, mm. that it is. Yuki comes in after Ikari leaves and tells the girls the truth about why she's so distant to others, and it's because she's scared and she doesn't know much about her snow woman abilities. And of course, the girls do end up apologizing to her. Afterwards, we get a little uh, nice moment when Ikari comes home and just lays in Himari's lap because she's just so emotionally drained by that point. She just needs to rest and just, like, be with her sister. The next day, we have a little Demi conference as Mr. Takahashi gathers up all the Demis in school for a meeting, including Saki. Mr. Takahashi wants Hikari, Machi, and Yuki to stick together since they're the only Debbies in school and they can now go to Saki in case they have any trouble. Before this little meeting is adjourned, Hikari demands a hug from Mr. Takahashi since she's the only one who hasn't gotten a hug yet. Which is true. Hmm, true, true. And I just love when she just runs up to hugs him, she just starts laughing and she's all like, heh 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 and he's all like, heh what? <laughs> <laughs> like what, is this the hugging hour now? <laughs> like every everyone gets in on the big hug session, it's just like me watching the scene, I was just like, hug it out, hug it out, hug it out. Hugs for everybody, we could all use one. I'm sure uh, WWE superstar Bailey would be approving of all the all this hugging going around like oh, yeah. she was she's, just, she's looking on somewhere and just giving a thumbs up just watching it arms folded just nodding your head going yeah yeah my work here is done <laughs> though saki doesn't get a hug though because that would be a very bad idea and while hugging yuki mr takahashi reassures her that everything will be fine and that she's among a good group of friends here and she can get through this which is very sweet to say. Oh yeah, band of sisters right here. And a good gag to end the scene as Hikari wants Mr. Takahashi to hug Machi's body, and when he does, he backs off instantly when her chest pokes right at him, and he's like, I'm gonna call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> and even better is like, as they leave, they just leave Machi's body behind, and then like, the flame from her neck just starts spewing up to the air. <laughs> Yeah, dang, it might as well, like, bore a hole through the ceiling. Jesus. Oh, uh, one thing I should mention is that, uh, you know, the little noises that uh, Machi's flame makes, uh, Terry Doty also uh, does the voice for those noises, too. Oh, nice! Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder what she just did into the microphone, just I, like... I would assume, like, maybe, like, make, like, a gurgling noise in the microphone, <laughs> and they just, like, uh, modified it in editing. Oh, I can imagine that. That, that. that would be a good question for her. After school, Mr. Takahashi runs into Himari, and they have a little chat about vampires. 
Himari is, is initially wary of him because she's worried about him thinking of Hikari as like just a science experiment. And then she asks him if he's only interested in just her demi side, and then he goes on to give a nice little speech about when it comes to him learning about demis, he likes to look at all their aspects. You focus too much on the demi side, you'll ignore their individuality. You ignore the demi side, and you end up ignoring their struggles. And then he has like a really great line here where he says, It isn't how you're born that what makes you who you are, it's how you decide to live with what you are. Imari starts to understand Mr. Takahashi some more and offers him to come by to the house to meet with her parents and tell them exactly what he told her. Though this nice little scene here gets interrupted as Himari gets a text from Ikari that just says, and I quote, Teach hugged me today, he totally attacked me. <laughs> Ikari, you're at it again. Just, why? Why do you do this? But she does clear it up later. So on to episode 5, Snow Woman Chan is cold. Now that Yuki is a part of the group, let's get to know a little bit more about her and see if there's any way for her to accept her demi-side. Initially, when Yuki started high school, she wanted to keep her demi-nature a secret so to avoid making any problems for others. But that day when she fainted in gym class, that's when she had to like let the secret out that she is indeed a snow woman. Before coming to the school, she lived in a much colder town with a lot of snow, so she was able to hide being snow woman easy, only like letting her closest friends know who she really is. And then during that time, she was more comfortable with being that, but uh, that really changed when she moved to the town. And then uh, moving, thinking about all the friends she's left behind and just being nervous about whether or not she'll be accepted in this new school brought upon all that anxiety that she had. And this culminated in a moment where she was thinking about all this while taking a bath and she noticed that she had frozen some of the hot water in the bathtub. And this shook her so much to the point where like she didn't want to come in contact with anyone because like if you can freeze hot water, what if you accidentally freeze another person? But she'd be like an X-Men or something. Yeah. She'd like be like one of the X-Men or something. <laughs> That'd be freaking awesome. That would be if this were like a superhero show. <laughs> oh, if only. Hey, don't, don't worry, Yuki. If you were in My Hero Academia, you'd be a hero. Oh man, just imagine her like using that quirk she like oh her teaming up with like Todoroki <laughs> <laughs> ice and ice oh yeah. back to back uh, side by side after hearing about Yuki's story Mr. Takahashi spends the day doing some research into snowman legends to see if he can find anything relating to Yuki's predicament there has to be like a perfectly good explanation as to why she was able to freeze hot water so that's why he's going into this research while looking into the legends, Mr. Takahashi discovers that a lot of these legends are very sad and more often than not end on very depressing notes, such as freezing someone who was mean to her or the snow woman melting away, that sort of thing. Actually, one funny one that I think I found in there, because there's a lot of like weird ones, but I think one great one was like one of like a snow woman. I forget how it goes, but I think it involved like a man meeting a snow woman or something and her like dying or something or like maybe he like he somehow caused her to die or something <laughs> then like he kind of lives through his life and then he finds out years later after he's been with his wife of like 20 or 30 years she was the snow woman after all <laughs> after all <laughs> hey honey did you think you might want to like tell me that <laughs> after 30 years of marriage <laughs> point being snow woman stories are weird so, while talking to Yuki about these stories, he sees that she's producing a lot of cold air around her feet, and light bulb goes off in his head as it's time to test the theory. So he has Yuki put her feet into a bucket of hot water and have her read a compilation of Snow Woman legends. Yuki does this, and as she goes on reading, she produces more and more cold air around her, but also produces some ice shards in the water. It turns out that when Yuki ever has any negative feelings or any negative emotions or whatnot, she breaks out into a cold sweat on the bottom of her feet, which in turn freezes. So she was never freezing the water to begin with. It was just her sweat freezing. <laughs> I just had the question of like, yeah, but couldn't you have just like made her like walk on a treadmill or something to like get her sweating? Oh no, it had to be nervous sweat. <laughs> 
<laughs> Mr. Takahashi apologizes for having to read these sad snowman legends, and he tells her that she doesn't have anything to worry about anymore as she's not the kind of person who would hurt anyone with her abilities. So Yuki's just so overwhelmed with relief and happiness that she cries, but unlike before, these tears don't freeze as these are tears of joy. Very sweet. Aww. So from this moment on, Yuki becomes more upbeat and cheerful, also even makes plans to hang out with Hikari and Machi after school. And then now Hikari gives her a nickname just like she did Machi, so now she calls her Yuki-kin. So they get together and they uh, buy some ice cream and then Hikari gets the sudden urge to want to bite Yuki on the neck but she holds herself back because she doesn't want to invade her personal space without permission like before because she respects her boundaries. Yuki sees this and appreciates how considerate she's being but tells her that she's comfortable with her being all clingy like she used to be and Hikari hugs her immediately and then also asks if she can nibble on her shoulder because her teeth tend to itch from time to time and she just needs to bite on something. <laughs> <laughs> hey friend, mind if I nibble on your ear a little bit? <laughs> I hope you wouldn't mind. <laughs> Daddy killed the zombie Flanders. <laughs> zombie monster girls. That'd be interesting to see. <laughs> Dude, we already have zombie idol girls now. <laughs> it's enough. Yeah. While uh, Hikari's nibbling on Yuki's shoulder, I just love uh, the acting here where Hikari's just going nim 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 it's a cute sound effect. Oh yeah, I agree. <laughs> so all three of these girls are really hitting it off now, and thus begins a new beautiful friendship between a vampire, dual hand, and a snow woman. That kind of sounds like the start of one of those walks in, walk into a bar jokes. Like, you know, vampire, dual hand, and a snow woman walk into a bar, and the bartender's all like, hey, when's the next Monster Mash? <laughs> <laughs> It does kind of sort of set a little bit like that. Uh, just gonna wait for the punchline now. <laughs> the next day, Mr. Takahashi finds the three demis, aka the OT3, all hanging together and getting along just nicely. And Yuki's now even on a first name basis with them. And speaking of first name basis, while Mr. Takahashi refers to Yuki and Machi by their last names out of respect, he calls Hikari by her first name. So Yuki questions him about this and the reason why he does it. It just feels right. And uh, oh, I gotta bit of a demonstration here. Like, I want to read these lines and I want you to help me out with this. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you read the Mr. Takahashi parts and I'll read the Hikari parts. Hello, Takanashi. Uh, afternoon, sir. How are you today? So, way awkward. What a girl. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so, a bit weird there. Hikari? Can I help you? See? Just right. <laughs> <laughs> oh god the exchanges between these two like i say pitch perfect so uh and then we get another cute bit here where uh, mr takahashi offers to call machi by her first name and he does so but that excites her too much so she's just perfectly fine with being called machi just love when he says it he's he's like hey can i call you by your first name kyoko 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 and then she just blushes, and then the flame just starts ignites super high up into the air. <laughs> You'd think they'd be clued in now that that's her being, like, just all <laughs> flustered. And another nice moment after that is uh, Mr. Takahashi wondering why Hikari calls everyone by their names, but he gets a plain old, hey, a teach. Hikari just says that he's just a teach kind of guy, and then Machi and Yuki agree by saying, I get it. Yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, teach, special kind of name you reserve only for cool teachers, and badass pirates with awesome beards. Right. Kind of makes you wish I called a teacher back in high school teach. After this discussion on names and nicknames, Yuki meets up with the boy she rejected in the previous episode, Satake, played here by Austin Tyndall, who's with his buddy Ota, played here by Alejandro Saab. She apologizes for turning him down and also thanks him for helping her as he was the one who brought her to the nurse's office when she collapsed. She asks if he would like to hang out with her after school and he accepts, thinking it's a date, but it's actually more of a group hangout. 
Also, uh, one thing I noticed that I didn't notice the first time around is that uh, in the background, you can see Yuki inviting uh, the girls, Yimori and Kimura, as uh, they're now on good terms now. Oh, how nice. Yeah. So we're on to episode 6, the Takanashi sisters are undeniable. Uh, before getting into this episode, uh, something that uh, everyone should know while watching this is that uh, the OP gets a little uh, slight update during uh, Yuki's bit, so... You know how before uh, this episode, before Yuki coming out of her shell and everything, when it gets to her part, it's like a little snow globe, and then she's like looking all very down and depressed and everything, but then once she like comes out of her shell more, she like transforms the snow globe into like a very spring setting, and then she's a lot happier, and she's giggling and laughing in the opening now. Aww, so adorable. Just so sweet. It's just like a nice little detail to signify Yuki coming out of her shell. Right, character development shown in the OP. So it's time to meet the parents, as first up we're introduced to Papa Takanashi, played here by Barry Yandel, who is a stay-at-home dad while his wife is the breadwinner of the family. Papa with his sweet pencil stash, too. Oh man, that is a sweet stash. Oh, what I wouldn't give to grow one of those. Just a nice one that you can, like, twiddle in your off times. Oh yeah, just caress it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I do that with my mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of do a bit of the, uh... Pro wrestlers of the Mustache Mountain kind of thing with my, my facial hair. Oh, and you've got like a good one to do that with too. Right. So Papa here appreciates Mr. Takahashi bringing the Demi Girls together and doing so gave him the idea to connect with Yuki and Machi's parents so they can all work together to uh, support their daughters. And I'm just like, man, what a super dad here. I know, right? Just like creating like a super alliance of parents to mm -hmm. just support their daughters. Mr. Takahashi thinks so too and puts over how good Hikari is, though he admits that she can do a little better when it comes to her studies like her sister. And I love that upon hearing this, Hikari's dad kind of makes like a similar cat face that Hikari has made before upon hearing this. <laughs> so, you know, like father, like daughter. Right. Ooh, speaking of Hikari's sister, Himari comes home and she's pleasantly surprised to see Mr. Takahashi took her up on her offer to come pay them a visit. And then Hikari just, like, bursts into the room, kind of like uh, Kramer from Seinfeld. She's just absolutely delighted to see Mr. Takahashi here, and then even compliments him on uh, cleaning himself up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you own a necktie. You usually look like a bum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Hey, did, did I remind you, sir, that I'm her teacher? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, hey, now, don't be dissing the lab coat. Steinsgate taught me the importance of lab coats, especially when it comes to a scientist man here like Mr. Takahashi. Yeah, don't diss them. It's a very important part of every man, man's accoutrement, okay? It goes with everything. So before Hikari can snap some sweet pics of Mr. Takahashi in his uh, finest outfit, Himari gives out to her about uh, leaving her blood packs in the main fridge and not in the mini fridge she has in her room. Just starts yelling at her like, keep your blood away from the Sunny D and purple stuff, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to confuse it again with my Hawaiian punch. <laughs> <laughs> Himari continues to just give out to Ikari about how she's been abusing her mini fridge, how she uses it to keep desserts in, how she sticks her feet in when she's reading, and sometimes she just falls asleep in it with her head inside the fridge, which uh, actually would look quite nice in uh, during like the summer months. Oh yeah, it would. Despite the uh, catching the cold part. Yeah, I could do without that. And then Ikari starts to make her comeback consistent entirely of blood puns, like... Stop being a snitch! I turn red, but the blood has drained from my face! Listen, you better zip up your lip or else! Oh yeah? Or else what? You remember how I used to lay the smack down on your butt back in the day, Himari? Well, I'm not afraid to draw first blood, sister. Grab some soap, cause it's gonna be a bloodbath! Okay. I'm just gonna stop you for a second. Is there like a point behind the weird blood puns? <laughs> Well, since we have an audience, I thought I'd take this opportunity to show off my superior vampire know-how. Oh, 
boy, Kari, you are becoming best girl in my book. Though Himari is having none of these blood puns and then just starts grabbing the buns in her hair and just starts messing them up. <laughs> Very fond of those buns in her hair, isn't yeah. she? Yeah. Almost like ear-like almost, you know. Yeah, I think it's like they're supposed to like be referenced to like a cat. Also, I think like uh, her hairstyle is also uh, another reference to uh, to a famous um, vampire in film, uh, Gary Oldman's portrayal of Dracula in the 1993 film. Oh, really? I yeah. don't know if I've ever seen his performance in that. I think his look in that film was also used as the basis for uh, Mr. Burns' vampire look in that one Treehouse of Horror. Oh, I see what you mean now. So, like, the girls are uh, arguing right now, and I'm just, like, going, let them fight, let them fight, let them fight. But uh, they all, they eventually do cool down. And uh, Papa Takanashi here offers Mr. Takahashi to stay for dinner, which he happily accepts. And uh, one thing I want to mention here is uh, I really like Hikari's casual outfit at home. It's specifically the t-shirt she's wearing with, like, the little bat symbol on the front. And I noticed that in the back it has a design of a little cape. Hey, if you're part vampire, own it, you know? It's gotta, like, look the part. You know, they actually used to sell official versions of that shirt online, and I wish I had bought one, but they were, they were almost always sold out. Oh, how unlucky. Yeah. Ooh, so it's now time to meet Mama Takanashi, played here by Linda Leonard. Through her, we get to know a little bit more about Hikari, as when she was born, her hair shines so bright, you can even say it glowed. And that's where she got her name, which uh, Hikari means light. And then uh, when Himari was born, they gave her a very similar name, which means uh, sunshine. Aww, so, so it's uh, cute. very perfect for twins here. And while on the subject of Hikari's hair, her dad actually dyes his hair a shade of blonde so she won't uh, stick out as much because, you know, blonde hair, natural blonde hair isn't very common in Japan right, or any right. Asian countries for that matter. Also, speaking of hair, uh, Mr. Takahashi even notices that Himari's hair is a little bit lighter than it should look and he kind of picks up that she also dyed her hair for Hikari's sake, which is like, this is all a very sweet fa sweet thing for her family to, just to do for Hikari. I know, right? Just mm -hmm. sticking out for your kid there. The next day at school, we hear more about the daily lives of the Takanashi twins as Himari tells Mr. Takahashi about how Hikari woke up late that day and wanted her to help style her hair with her usual hair buns, but Himari just denied her because she feels that Hikari deserves a little uh, tough love at this moment. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> Come just so on, don't deny her her buns here. Come on, it's like, it's her signature look. Though Mr. Takahashi then theorizes that maybe the reason Hikari needs Himari's help when it comes to her hair is because, according to legends, vampires don't have reflections. And of course, that's a legend everyone should know, especially through the classic Hey Arnold episode where Sid thinks Stinky is a vampire, and the whole mirror thing is a very much the crux of the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, everything just like falls apart unless you can like prove the mirror argument. And uh, interesting thing about this whole like belief is, as I didn't know this before watching the series, but the whole reason for uh, the whole mirror thing is that it came from the idea that people back in the day thought the mirror was a reflection of one's soul, and since they consider vampires to be soulless monsters, then theoretically they shouldn't have a reflection because they have no soul. Oh wow, people were fucking dumb back then. They were. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid idiots. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody knows your soul only comes up in pictures. Right? Right? Everybody knows that. Come on. So Himari is afraid that this might be true and runs off to find Ikari. And I'm just like, aw, she's worried about her. She really does care. She does find Ikari and then realizes how that she was being stupid in the moment and that, of course, vampires do have reflections and just feels so embarrassed for jumping to conclusions here. Aw, oh, she got sitted in the end. <laughs> <laughs> And then Ikari just, like, hugs her and appreciates that she cares so much about her well-being. And I'm just like, just stop being so cute, you two. No, right? <laughs> just, ugh, you're just, just, you're just, ah, ah, you're so good. Keep it up, though. 
oh, you little shits. Like, <laughs> I love never you. stop being cute. I love you all. And, like, uh, watching this moment, as for someone who also happens to have a sibling, this is just very, this is a whole nice episode to watch, just seeing these two sisters interact with each other. I know, right? It's it's a cute little moment that, like, really connects with uh, anybody who has that sibling. So, later that day after school, Machi is waiting to get picked up since it's raining outside, and she crashes at Mr. Uh, Takahashi's office while she waits, and then when she wakes up, she sees Mr. Takahashi also uh, sleeping at his desk as he walked in after her. And a great bit here where, like, uh, Machi walks over to the uh, sleeping Mr. Takahashi and puts a little blanket over him and starts patting his head. But uh, to the audience, we're shown that he's actually awake in this moment. <laughs> and he's just trying to keep still and pretend that he's still asleep so he doesn't make this moment any more awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would think waking up right then in that moment would make things way less awkward. Because <laughs> at least you don't have to deal with, like, listening to, like, everything that goes around you like a creeper. <laughs> just, like, leave your body. Body, Mr. Takahashi, leave your body. Or just actually go to sleep in this moment. <laughs> Hope and pray that you can fall asleep in this awkward-ass moment. Luckily, uh, Papa Takanashi arrives to take Maji home, but she needs to go back to the classroom to get her backpack, so he grabs onto her head and then takes her back to the class. But uh, she leaves her body behind so she can give Mr. Takahashi a note thanking him for giving her a blanket while she was sleeping. And a very sweet moment as Mr. Takahashi watches us on and just smiles and looks on and vows to like do the best he can looking after these monster girls fucking sweet it is before we continue on with the rest of the series we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with more interviews with monster girls interviews shall continue Think of the qualities ascribed to vampires by legend. Mm, the garlic is delicious. Aha! Right here! I'm almost positive a stake through the heart would kill us. It'd kill most people. Do vampires really have to drink blood to stay alive? Nah, that's so not even a thing. The fire that's coming from your neck, can people touch it? Sure. Like, is it safe? Uh-huh, you bet. Careful, are you okay, Miss Sato? Mr. Takahashi. Succupy are like super sexy. Your feet, do they get cold when you're nervous or upset? Uh, well, yeah, sometimes. I get cold pretty easily. <laughs> Please don't make such a fuss. I'll be fine once I cool down. I'm okay, okay? Off you go. Scram.
and we're back with more of Tetsuo Takahashi and the Ghoul School. Mr. Takahashi needs to get these girls good and ready to take on those Callaway cadets in the uh, yearly volleyball tournament. Seriously, am I not the only one who has made a Scooby-Doo in, in the Ghoul School joke when it comes to this? It did not cross my mind initially, but it does kind of fit here. And it's like, I'm surprised no one else has made like a reference to this. Like, when it aired, it's like... This is low-hanging fruit here, people. All we need now is the Takahashi rap. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, please make that. It's just missing that, and it'll be perfect. The Absolute. comparison will be spot on. Absolutely perfect. So we're on to episode 7, Succubus-san is Inquisitive. This episode begins with Hikari rushing to Mr. Takahashi, claiming to have seen a weird person. Super big like a bear, shaggy, a really hairy dude, and eyes like a vicious maning beast. So... A bear. Yeah, it's clearly a bear must have uh, snuck onto the grounds and is now running amok. Huh, bear attacking a school. Maybe uh, Betsy DeVoe wasn't, was uh, talking about needing guns to protect against bears wasn't such utter nonsense. <laughs> nah, it's still bullshit. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Meanwhile, with Saki, she comes across a boy in the hallway with blonde hair wearing a uniform that doesn't belong to the school. This boy, who also happens to be German, is named Kurtz, played here by Michaela Krantz, and he's been separated with the person he came to school with. Oh my, that accent. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know how I feel about it. Like, I don't know, I'm almost getting like Helsing Ultimate flashbacks. <laughs> like, oh my god, is somebody gonna shoot this kid in the head coming up? <laughs> wonder what he thinks about war. <laughs> so Saki asks if he's a transfer student, and he says he is while making a really terrible poker face. Press X to doubt. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> even this That's even more ironic when you know like what he really is coming up. Uh, sometimes you gotta shake the tree to see what falls out. So Saki goes to look for the person who Kurtz is with, but he stops her by grabbing her hand, but seems to be completely unaffected by her aphrodisiac effect. So, hmm, what's, uh, what's going on here? Hmm. Uh, no time to think about it, as Mr. Takahashi arrives to tell Saki about the thing Hikari saw. Kurtz says he'll look for this stranger so he can earn Saki's trust, and right at that moment he sees a really shady-looking dude coming around the corner, so Kurtz springs into action and takes the dude down quite impressively, I might add. And then locks him into uh, Becky Lynch's disarmor hold. <laughs> I know, right? I was just thinking, like, my god, who did this kid get wrestling lessons from? Trained down at the performance center. However, it turns out the stranger is actually the guy Kurtz came to school with, and Saki happens to know him. This guy is Ugaki, played here by Bill Jenkins, who is a detective, and Kurtz is his partner. So Ugaki sends Kurtz with Mr. Takahashi to get registered by the school to be allowed on school grounds, and then he stays behind to catch up a bit with Saki. So is this Kurtz kid, like, are they just, like, allowing 14-year-olds into, like, the police force now? Like, this whole kid, like, this kid just weirds me out. I don't get him. <laughs> like, is there, like, some backstory to him we're missing here? Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, man. So it turns out the reason why he's here is because he heard about the school having three demi-students and wanted to see them for himself since his detective work mainly focuses on demi-humans. As for Kurtz, Ugaki deduces that he and Saki had a bit of a run-in and that her abilities had no effect on him. He won't mention any specifics, but it turns out that Kurtz is a secret weapon when it comes to dealing with Succubi. So what's the deal with Kurtz, you may ask? Well, it's not said in the anime, in the manga, volume 6 specifically. Kurtz's true abilities are revealed. So, spoiler alert, hold your ears. He is actually an incubus. Oh, interesting. I did not... Okay, that that really helps here, because the anime did not have enough time to reveal that. Yeah, that was like a thing that they would say for a big reveal later on in the series. 
Mmm, okay, so crossed fingers for a season two. I'll talk more about how it was explained in the uh, manga here, where, though the extent of his abilities is is that he's immune to succubi, and that's pretty much it. That's the extent of his abilities. That's really it? Yeah, like... That's a little disappointing. Yeah, like, he's also on the bottom of the incubi scale as he admits he couldn't even seduce a girl even if he tries. Oh, God. <laughs> So back to the conversation at hand, we get to know more about Saki's relationship with Ugaki as he's known her since she was a child and that he's practically a father figure to her. And in a brief moment, we actually get a bit of an implication from Saki as she implies that she didn't really have a good relationship with her father. I'm just thinking like, ah, I would really love to know more about this. And then thinking about it more, it's like, it would kind of make sense, like, her father not wanting to be around her a lot because he's afraid of her aphrodisiac effect, because I'm pretty sure an effect like that doesn't really discriminate against family and all that stuff, so... There's it, some dark implications yeah. behind there. I wonder if a later volume does deal with that. I really want to see that. But Ugaki lightens the mood by teasing Saki about her love life, and she tells him that she just so happens to be interested in a guy at the moment, and, that, and the reason being is that he has a very low libido. Ugaki bursts her bubble by saying that he most likely doesn't have a low libido and that he was actually affected by her when they accidentally touched. He was just keeping a strong face so she wouldn't feel bad about affecting him. Well, after having a spaz attack about thinking about it, she's not disappointed in the slightest. Mr. Takahashi in that moment finds Saki attractive and that's and that's all that matters. She counts that as a win. <laughs> right. <laughs> Gotta take what you got, girl. Yeah. Back with Kurtz, he happens to run into Ikari in the gang, and Hikari wonders if he's a transfer student, and with the same exact poker face, he lies about it. And I love the image here when it cuts, like, the shot of, like, all three girls looking at him. I posted it on my Twitter, but I'll show you here. <laughs> okay. It's, I gotta see this. This shot here, like, I pretty <laughs> much think that this encapsulates all the girls, like, personalities to a T. Like, you have Machi just smiling along, thinking like, ah, he's a very upstanding young gent. Hikari is just is just pretty much confused by the whole thing. And then you get Yuki with, like, the I'm so done with this face, I'm not buying this kid's bullshit. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, this kid. He's obviously BSing us right now. <laughs> oh, man, good thing he gets out of there fast, because in my experience with watching anime, I've come to learn that vampires and Germans don't mix well. Mm, no, the bodies tend to drop. Yeah. God, can you imagine, like, Hikari in the world of Helsing Ultimate? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like, would she be Alucard or would she be, like, a Ceres? Ooh, that's a good question. I think she's more of a Ceres, really. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if we're talking about people that are more on the scale of, like, Alucard... Ooh, you could maybe argue, I don't know, maybe her sister or something, like, they've both mm -hmm. got the red going on, I suppose. Yeah. But the best we could do here, but yeah, definitely more of a Ceres. Yeah, just imagine her with, like, the big cannons that Ceres has. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, I imagine her little body would just get fucking blown away or something. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> flicks right across the sky. <laughs> so as Kurtz runs off, he comes across Satake and Ota looking at a picture of Saki that uh, they sneakily took, and Kurtz gives him a bit of a talking to about sneaking pictures, but he does allow him to keep it because Satake admits that he finds Saki attractive, not for being a succubus, but because he just generally finds her attractive. Guess that's a reason. Maybe still don't, like, keep around yeah. a photo of somebody to jack off to. Especially your teacher. Yeah, maybe delete the photo. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, Schrodinger here says that it's like, okay, so whatevs. And I like the bit here where uh, Satake just like screams out to the entire schoolyard about the picture saying that, I don't care if this makes me a total perv! And I just like to imagine just one student just 
shouted out to him. Weirdo! <laughs> Kurtz goes back to looking for Ugaki, who's currently in the smoking room with Mr. Takahashi. They have a little bit of a conversation about uh, his line of work and how it involves Demis, and then he goes on to uh, specifically tell about how his detective work focuses mainly on Sukibai. And then it gets really interesting here, so this is another scene I'm going to splice in. I'll just sum things up for you. We both work for the Demi-Human Division. Huh. From the police department? I've always wanted to meet you guys. I see. Well, there aren't that many Demi-Humans, so Demi-Human crimes are few and far between, you know? And what does the Demi-Human Division do? There's a lot of sitting around and twiddling our thumbs all day. Huh? Disappointed? Once upon a time, we were a pretty busy department. The world used to be a harsher place for a lot of Demi-Humans. Hard times. Since it had it rough both socially and psychologically, there were a lot more demi-human-related crimes back in the day. But nowadays, things have really settled down. Because of the government? And the guarantee system? That's probably part of it. But I like to think that as a whole, society sort of mellowed out. I realize that again today. Oh? This school has three demi-human students, right? I wanted to see how they all got along. I mean, I hadn't heard anything bad, but I was still curious. But once I saw them in person, I was pleasantly surprised. They were happy and laughing like normal teenagers. For someone like me, it's a welcome sight. It really gives me hope that the world is headed in the right direction. I'm sure they must all have supportive families, and maybe a few good teachers as well. Sorry to steal your demi-human division job. Ha, <laughs> braggart. All joking aside, trust me when I say there are parts of my job you definitely wouldn't want to do. Hmm? Like what? Well, when an incident does pop up, it's usually a tough case. Often involving the use of aphrodisiac effects. Aphrodisiacs? You mean like the kind that are associated with succubi? What kind of incidents exactly? Let's say a young succubus is inappropriately touched. Most of the time, it turns out their abilities were inadvertently activated. Sometimes, fledgling succubi may be testing their abilities. Those kind of cases aren't cut and dry, not to mention difficult. We've got to determine if the incidents are accidental or deliberate. Trust me, there are days I'd rather be a high school teacher. Whoa, back up a second. Hmm? Those cases. Is there a method in place for making a correct judgment call? I wish there was, but there's no fail-safe method. We try and keep an open communication. We talk to the succubi who are in our jurisdiction and check in with them. Then keep an eye on anyone who might be deviant. Other than that, there's not much we can do to prevent these things. They must hate you. That sounds pretty rough. Yeah, it happens when you interrogate them about things that may or may not have happened. Unfortunately, it all comes with the territory. It's not like I want them to hate me. But you haven't reached any compromises yet. No, but every great once in a while I meet a succubus that I actually get along with. There's one I really care about. By the way, Takahashi, I heard you know quite a lot about Demis. Nah, just a few facts. But you know enough to recognize the nickname Demi. <laughs> Listen, promise you'll look after Saki. But what about the other Demi-girls? <laughs> okay. Take care of all of them. Including Saki, of course. Come here. 
I'm going to do my best to help make this world a safer place for all of the Demis out there. And in the meantime, I want you to keep making this a safe place for them as well. Watch over them. Help them flourish in this crazy world. Yep. That was always the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Very, very sweet little moment. Very much. Though, like, he does bring up a lot about uh, hardships uh, Demi's used to face, and I'm just thinking, like, I know that the show is more set in a more idealized world where, for the most part, we're free from Demi discrimination, but uh, I really would like to see what was everything like before then. Like, what hardships did Demi's have to face before it led up to the whole government stepping in and then making life a lot more easier for them? Yeah, hopefully not violent. Yeah. Let's, let's hope not. Let's hope it's not like the BPRD or something. Gotta get Hellboy in. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, you gotta wonder if like Hellboy is in this universe and they've just like reformed and now he's just like going around in a suit or something. <laughs> handling demi cases. Mm -hmm. Every time just like hand twitching, just wondering like, wow, I wish I could shoot these monsters in the face. This would be so easy right now. <laughs> Ah, whatever. Let's follow these reports right now. Don't worry, ma'am. I'm not gonna shoot you in the face. Those aren't our ways anymore. Like, this fist doesn't punch demons anymore. <laughs> Trust me. I'm a reformed Hellboy now. Also, while thinking about this whole thing, I couldn't help but think of X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an apt comparison, you know, with, like, the power angles and the yeah. discrimination angle. Yeah, Demis are basically, like, comparable to X-Men mutants. Yeah, they are a bit comparable. Just without, like, the huge, like, massive damaging powers and stuff. Yeah. Oh, Which, man. to be fair, has always been a criticism of the X-Men, you know? Yeah. That, like, you know, like, the discrimination angle doesn't work because, like, these people do have superpowers that could, like, kill people. So I'm just kind of thinking, like, oh, man, what if this, uh, what if the world of Monster Girls had, like, uh, Professor X school for gifted youngsters? <laughs> that would, that, like, that would be the a like, freaking awesome thing. Like, you can do a story arc where, like, uh, Hikari and the girls go off to, like, a demi-private school, and then, like, Mr. Takahashi and Saki, like, follow along to, like, watch over them, and then we can, like, meet more demi-humans from, like, all over the world or whatever. Uh, I imagine that's an anime somewhere out there, but I can't. <laughs> I, I, just, I just know right now somebody has beaten you to the punch. Yeah, probably. And one thing I'd like to mention is that I really like the bit at the end of the conversation where Ugaki tells Mr. Takahashi to look after the demigirls, name-dropping Saki specifically, like, watch over Saki for me. This implies that he knows that he's the guy Saki's into. So it's kind of like a father giving, like, daughter's boyfriend their blessing. So now we're on to episode 8, Demi-chans want to learn. It's midterm season at school, and while Machi and Himari are at the top of the rankings, Hikari has fallen way behind with three failing grades. And then we get a line from Mr. Takahashi here saying, Vampires may suck, but that doesn't mean you can suck at your schoolwork. Ooh, <laughs> savage. Burn! Oh. Hey, gotta, gotta give him some credit when he comes up with a good joke, you know? He's not the one most prone to them. Hikari's gonna need to uh, really buckle down and study for these next tests in order to make up for these ones. And I just love throughout the scene, she's just being so melodramatic about everything. Like, even a point where, like, she grabs onto uh, Yuki as she's walking away and she kind of does the uh, bit of the uh, the Dixie Carter, what Dixie Carter did the Hulk Hogan on TNA when, like, he was walking away and she was, like, grabbing onto his leg as he was walking off. <laughs> Hey, well, like, her world's kind of, like, falling down the drain here. She's mm. She may be a monster girl, but she's got to keep her grades up. Right. Later on, Saki's passing by in the hall, and she happens to find a book that uh, Yuki dropped earlier when uh, Hikari was, like, uh, freaking out. Uh, the title of the book? The Amazing Van Dersen, Volume 7. It's an old manga that uh, Saki used to read when she was younger. 
Not just any manga, gag manga. Yes. And a great scene here when uh, Saki returns the book to Yuki. She asks her if uh, she's a fan of the series and Yuki has to play it off like she isn't. She's like, oh, I'm not into comedies. Gag comics aren't for me. Actually, I love gag comics. (laughs) They're awesome. (laughs) At this moment, like after Yuki's like become more comfortable with herself, we get to see the side of her where she's just a giggling goober who loves raunchy gag manga and bad jokes in general. (laughs) I don't like gag manga. Yuji Joe is my fucking favorite. (laughs) Azamanga Dio is my jam. (laughs) Pop Team Epic forever. Oh my god, Yuki would love Pop Team Epic. (laughs) (laughs) I am not upset. So Saki talks up the book and how funny it is, and Yuki is desperately trying to keep herself from laughing, holding it back so much that she's visibly shaking. And it kind of reminds me of, remember that scene in Anchorman 2 where, like, they're reading Garfield and Brian Fantana is just holding the book and then he's just violently shaking while laughing? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, brings to mind something like that. Just like, I just want to see like all the uh, the demigirls like reading this manga and then like Mr. Takahashi walks in they're like, ah, oh, teacher, really missing some high quality Van Dersen laughs here. <laughs>, <laughs> and I just, I just really love this side of Yuki. Oh yeah, it really helps to like humanize her more beyond like the, uh, you know, sensitive person she once was. Really, really helps clear in that like she's not the person she was before. Yeah, I, I love that she grew out of being like the very shy, meek girl she was before. Probably grows the most out of all the girls in the series. Yeah, right. So uh, to not laugh anymore, Yuki changes the subject to a discussion on their respective demi natures to Saki. And Saki asks if Yuki still gets picked on for being a snow woman, but Yuki says she really doesn't anymore. Then talks about how snow women in fiction are often portrayed as very flashy and heroic, and that's probably why a lot of kids like see them as very cool. So they would look at Yuki and think, "Oh, she's just like them." Yeah, exactly. During like this scene, we get like little images of Yuki as like different uh, snow women heroes, and like uh, I swear one of them looks like Blue Rose from Tiger and Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was the exact same thing I was thinking, like, oh, so she's a Tiger and Bunny fan, huh? My ice is a little bit cold, but your crimes are being completely put on hold. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine her, like, saying the line and doing yeah. the pose. So then Saki brings up how she used to get picked on in school for being a succubus and tells a specific story about how some asshole tried to get fresh with her and then she took him down very easily as she's trained in the world of judo. And then she locks the guy in a bit of an arm bar here and then uh, due to her aphrodisiac effect, the dude gets uh, turned on by this and then his reputation is just forever ruined by the school. (laughs) He gets put in a judo lock and he's just like, oh yeah, harder, harder. He is forever known as the one dude who likes getting put in, like, submission holds. <laughs> but it's like, I bet it's like an added insult, like, some, there was probably just some kid who yelled, He's got a boner! <laughs> Man, Saki is just the absolute coolest. <laughs> she was just like, oh, but don't worry, he's fine now. Like, he's actually a really cool guy. Frequents a lot of bondage clubs, but he's really cool. <laughs> We exchanged phone numbers. Nice guy. And after the story, you can just see Yuki is trying so hard not to laugh at this story. And I mean, <laughs> how could she not? I was, I had to show the same restraint when I heard that story. And then Saki's just like looking at her going like, oh, did I break her? <laughs> Afterwards, we see the demigirls studying together and Hikari is just absolutely struggling and then just resorts to whining. And I have her line here, but it's hard and we just did midterms and I don't want to do any more tests. It's dumb. I feel ya. I know. I, feel ya. I know how you feel, Ikari. I was never a good studier or test taker when I was in high school. Machi, on the other hand, is the complete opposite, as she likes studying and kind of thinks it's fun. She treats it more like a bit of a game. 
Machi, you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. In a good way. You're doing, good great, way. you're doing great, sweetie. Yuki says that if Hikari is able to do well on these tests, Mr. Takahashi will praise her this time around, and upon hearing you might get praise from him for uh, doing well, Machi says she wants to aim for the top spot, though she says she was only kidding. Or was she? Ooh. Anyway, back with Mr. Takahashi, he's reading up more on vampires, and since Hikari often chews on her sister's shoulder so her teeth won't itch, he wonders if Hikari has a preference, like what kind of arms does she uh, prefer? So let's find out with the first annual Hikari Cup, who has the most bite-worthy arm. So first up is Machi. Her arm is smooth, a little muscular, but loses points by not having a neck. Her score is a 65. When compared to food, she's a chicken tenderloin, and everyone loves chicken. Then next up is Yuki. Totally perfect, soft and delicate, and coolness makes it a Yuki-kin original. 93 points and compared to soft mochi ice cream, which is great by the way. <laughs> and as for Himari, uh, Hikari listed it as priceless and comparable to gum. And last but not least is Mr. Takahashi's Python's brother. Too hard, too thick, she could get hair stuck in her teeth. And I just love this line by Mr. Takahashi where he says, Don't you ever dare say that in public. I was disappointed by this whole rating scale thing. Because it saddens me to know that my hairy arms right now are completely unwantable by any vampire. <laughs> <laughs> my arms are unnibbleable right now. <laughs> That's That pains me. Yeah. That pains me. I mean, looking at my own arm is like... You've got a very chewable looking arm. And I would say mine is very, very chewable. I would nibble on my own arm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's very chewable. It's very chewable. Mm. I think Hikari would rate you very high. Very high. <laughs> so Yuki picks up the win, and then Mr. Takahashi ponders if Hikari would like to bite on Saki's arm and says out loud, all things considered, I would think Miss Sato would taste the best. Okay. <laughs> a little awkward thing to say about your colleagues in front of students here, and they and they all start to tease him about him saying that out loud. How would you say something so scandalous, Mr. Takahashi? <laughs> <laughs> and then Machi's on the verge of tears, thinking that he might be attracted to Saki. <laughs> Poor Teach left in the dust. Come on, you would think like a more muscular, like tough arm or something would be ideal Chewy. Yeah, like uh, thinking about this, I'm kind of thinking like, what other arms would Hikari like? She wouldn't like anything more muscular, so guys like, say, a Roman Reigns or an Ethan Carter III would be out of the questions. Oh my god, you could create a whole scale, like, based around, like, wrestlers to, like, see, like, which arms are the most chewable. Yeah, so those guys are out. I would say maybe, maybe, like, a Dean Ambrose, but before his uh, injury, because after his injury, he got a bit more muscular and buffer, so that would probably lose him some points. Oh, I see. Very interesting. Maybe, like, a Keith Lee. He seems to have a lot of meat on his arm. Hmm... I was, I was also kind of thinking, like, uh, what are some of the women wrestlers? What would their arms be towards Hikari? And I'm thinking, like... Ooh, Becky Lynch? Becky Lynch! She would kind of like she would like a bit of a straight fire there. Hmm, interesting. I'm also thinking maybe Alexa Bliss, you know, very, like, not too muscular, but not too lean, and also she is a very cold person. Ooh, very nice. Mm -hmm. I also think maybe... Or even, like, incorporating the cold personality. Yeah. I like it. I also was thinking, like, maybe she would like Asuka, but then I thought, nah, no one's ready for Asuka. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. So back to the test. Hikari does well on her test and gets her praise from Mr. Takahashi. And then while skipping down the hall, she notices the rankings on the school board and sees that Machi indeed took the top spot despite saying she was kidding about it earlier. <laughs> Machi, how could you? You betrayed us. <laughs> how could you lie to us? <laughs> so on to episode 9, Demi-chan's Want to Try. This episode opens up with a drunk Saki having some alone time with her teddy bear who is playing the role of Mr. Takahashi. And I'll splice you in the bit here, but uh, for those of you listening at home, make sure you have headphones on. <laughs>
Miss Sato, it really isn't a good idea to drink so much. Remember to take care of yourself. You need your rest. Oh, stop being such a mud in the stick. Besides, I'm off work tomorrow. <laughs> Mr. Takahashi. Here, listen up and have a little drinky drink. We can even talk about education or whatever. I know you could even teach me about biology. So irresponsible. A little troublemaker like you needs a stern hand and some discipline. Discipline? What are you gonna do to me? Mr. Sakahashi, we can't! Not in the middle of my house! Ah! But I've been so bad! Don't go easy on me! <laughs> Grab that yardstick and give me a firm spanking! I'll be your prime number, baby, if you'll be my number one. You're the solution to all my math problems! This was the very first thing I believe I saw of interview with interviews with monster <laughs> this girls. This was the first scene you saw. This is the first scene. <laughs> I just picked like any episode. I, I think it was. I think it was the one that showed me any of the succubus. I just knew like succubus in the series. Oh, she's pretty cute. Better watch this one. <laughs> and I watched it, and like I was just fucking sold on like the first half of this episode. <laughs> I was sold. In oh. fact, I aptly titled uh, this uh, episode the alternate title of uh, Can't Spell Succubus Without Suck. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much I liked it. Oh my god. So after this little awkward moment, Ugaki calls in to check up on Saki to let her know that he knows who she's in love with. And he goes on to give her advice saying that she needs to be more comfortable using her abilities and that since he stole her heart, she needs to strike while the iron is hot. So basically, take Mosan's tip from Fully Coolie Alternative and mount him! Ooh, yes, you gotta get on that. Get him, girl. Saki does feel she needs to at least do something if she ever wants a relationship, and Ugaki tempts her even more by asking if she's curious to see Mr. Takahashi when he's flustered. So upon hearing that, she decides to jump into action. So the next day, Saki goes to Mr. Takahashi to try to seduce him while also teaching him more about Sakibai. To start things off, Saki gives him a demonstration on her aphrodisiac effect by removing her jacket, taking off her glasses, and undoing her hair. Nice. Mmm, very nice. And I just love the expression on her face. She has like this this little smile, but in internally she's just like, kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> For extra measure, should have just like flapped her jacket a little bit, like, oh yeah, get a whiff of these pheromones here, big boy. <laughs> and Mr. Takahashi seems to no sell it, but internally he's just feeling the full effect of her powers. So, so sexy. sexy. <laughs> don't think sexy thoughts. Don't think sexy thoughts. I just like to think he's go. He's just going like, excuse me, I need to punch something, and then just starts punching his dick. <laughs> <laughs> go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so then Saki asks Mr. Takahashi for his opinion on if anyone could legitimately be attracted to a succubus, or if her aphrodisiac effect can only produce false feelings of attraction. Mr. Takahashi goes on to give his own theory, basically saying Succubi can't produce false feelings and that they more so have the power to really enhance and bring out feelings of attraction that are already there. So any feelings brought on by Saki's abilities should be legitimate. And this actually kind of relates to the scene earlier when Kurtz asked Satake if he likes Saki just because she's a succubus or if he liked her even if she wouldn't, which is like when he says he would like her even if she wouldn't so that he already has the attraction there. All right, it's little moments like this where like they go into like the science behind the girls that really makes the series. So they continue to discuss Succubi more and more in a very sweet moment. I just like, I just really like seeing these two bond. Right, together. they're just going back and forth, you know, like two scholars just mm -hmm. bouncing ideas off one another. It's really sweet. It is. Really sells like the relationship between these two. Absolutely. After their talk, Saki goes up to uh, zip up her jacket, but her boobs get caught up. 
And then she finally gets to see Mr. Takahashi's flustered face. He's just like <laughs> trying not to look and he's just blushing and making kind of this <laughs> gurning face. <laughs> trying desperately not to nut. <laughs> just like, I don't want to look. I don't want to look. You're a very attractive woman, please. I respect your boundaries. <laughs> I'm a man of science here. This is very unbecoming of me. Saki, whatever you do, don't look down. <laughs> Dealing with a monster down here. <laughs> so the next day, it's now Yuki's turn to ask Mr. Takahashi about controlling one's abilities. Since it's getting hotter out, she wants to see if she can be able to produce cold air voluntarily. What's the plan? Have Yuki pretend to feel depressed in order to trick her body into producing cold air. That's a little demented. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love Sarah Wiedenhef's performance here where, like, Yuki is trying to be all like, Curse you, evildoers! How dare you hurt my friends! <laughs> oh, look, looks like her audition for UA Academy. <laughs> <laughs> Though it kind of works, but not because she was depressed, but more so she was just mortified about pretending to, like, act depressed here. That's going to be hard, too. It can be hard, too. Yeah. But uh, Yuki is able to use her ice curse thingy, which it's now called, to uh, make an icy footbath for Hikari and Machi. So it kind of works out in the end for them. Oh, yeah. Mm. Good use of your powers there. So after a tough gym class outside, the Demis head to Mr. Takahashi's office to cool off, and Hikari suggests he should buy them all a watermelon. But he isn't made of money, you know. I mean, come on. Have you seen those square watermelons out there? Those alone cost $150. Well, how much does a regular watermelon cost out there? Too much. Really? Yeah. Like, oh my god, I can't imagine, like, how much do they cost over here? Only, like, what, like, seven, eight bucks or something? Like a tenner, maybe? Yeah, ten bucks or something like that. Why are they so expensive over in Japan? Must be really fresh. Either that, or they must, like, make, like, really good crossbreeds or something. Yeah. Well, they're making fucking square watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It's worth every penny. Drops it. <laughs> <laughs> he does go off to get them some ice pops, and the girls think about other ways to cool down. And one way they try is, let's tell ghost stories to ch send a chill down their spine. So then uh, Machi tells a story about two girls finding a dead body in a cave that's missing their head, but then they turn around and see the head is behind them. Ooh! Machi's even just like moving her head around like <laughs> like the most weak ass like like scare like you've ever like seen anybody try to attempt. It's like eh. not a bad story, Machi. Maybe you can tweak it a bit and then you can send it to the Ghoul Intentions podcast and have it read by Jamie Markey and J. Michael Tatum. <laughs> Good podcast, by the way. Shout out to them. Yes, big time shout out. Then the subject changes to uh, Machi wearing a sweater vest because they wonder like, hey, why are you wearing a sweater vest when it's very hot outside? And the reason for this is when she sweats, her underclothes tend to show through her uniform and then she gives Hikari and Yuki a look and then we just get a shot of the camera like zooms into Hikari's eyes and then we see like, we see like a picture of two watermelons. <laughs> <next to> the... <laughs> and I'm just like, hey, Hikari, there's your watermelon you asked for. <laughs> you any cooler now? <laughs> And then Mr. Takahashi, like, walks in, and then you can just see Machi just, like, immediately put her vest down, and then she just has this, like, embarrassed look on her face while uh, Yuki and Hikari are just, just so depressed and disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Banger way to end an episode. Yeah. So on to episode 10, The Dual Hand Surpasses Space Time. I just want to say the title of this episode gives me a very Gurren Lagann vibe for some reason. <laughs> like, what is Machi's head just going to, like, drill through the heavens by Your the end of this episode? Yours is the head that will pierce the heavens! Fires, like, a wormhole ray from her, like, neck. <laughs> <laughs> Does a giga drill breaker from her body? <laughs> yeah! No, 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 no. Gotta, gotta remind myself. Not that series. Not, not that, that series. Not that kind of anime. No, we're here for cute stuff. 
This episode begins with Hikari telling the girls about how she kissed Mr. Takahashi on the cheek before. They're all going like, whoa, you really kissed him? That's a, that's impressive, Hikari. And then you can just see Saki just trying to keep a straight face. And then it cuts to her in the bathroom and she just has a cry. <laughs> so like, no fair. <laughs> My sexual frustrations. <laughs> so at home, Machi thinks about this some more and wonders if she could sneak a kiss on the cheek too. So she decides to put her plan into action the very next day. So Mr. Takahashi's walking down the hallway, struggling with carrying a bunch of heavy boxes, presumably filled with his wallets. <laughs> <laughs> and Machi is, like, trying to, like, uh, sneak a kiss by holding her head close to him. This dumbass way to try and sneak a kiss, like... <laughs> But she's very gonna get you, gonna get you. <laughs> but she's very adorable here, <laughs> just just like raising up her head to try mm. and get to his level. Mm. And then she like backs him up to a wall, but then uh, she loses her grip on her head and almost drops it. Mr. Takahashi goes to catch her, but she's able to save her head at the last second. This moment here causes Mr. Takahashi to actually yell at her for the very first time in the series about Machi being reckless with her head in that moment. This like really shakes Machi to the core. Just like she would never think Mr. Takahashi would yell at her like that. Well, another question for like the whole Dollahan thing. Don't you think they're like maybe prone to like concussions or something? Having their heads like elevated at that level all the time with gravity working against them? Yeah, you think that there would be like many stories of like Dollahans like dropping their heads and just suffering a lot of head injuries. Yeah, you'd think, like, concussions would be, like, a problem with their uh, kind. Maybe they, like, do suffer from concussions, but then they do, like, the Daniel Bryan thing where they go into, like, hyperbolic chambers and then they're able to, like, heal themselves. <laughs> <laughs> One has to wonder. <laughs> so then Machi, like, shaken by the whole thing, runs off crying, and I'm just like, Mr. Takahashi, brah, you making kids cry, brah? <laughs> Come on, why are you making Machi cry here, brah? <laughs> Hikari and Yuki find her and comfort her as Machi feels bad for making him yell at her, and she's worried that she might have made Mr. Mr. Takashi hate her. But it's like, no, Machi. No one could ever hate you. No, you little cinnamon roll. Mm -hmm. Yuki reassures her this and then says that uh, he was only the only reason he was mad is because he was just scared Machi could have hurt herself. So Hikari brings Mr. Takahashi so the two can make up, which they do, and he apologizes for letting the emotions get the better of him in that situation, and they have a very sweet hug it out moment. Though Hikari breaks the mood by tickling Machi's body while Yuki just looks on pretty much going like seriously why are you doing this <laughs> you do this now hikari really you get the you get the best timing hikari <laughs> <laughs> so the next day machi goes to mr takahashi to help him with dual hand research in order to make it up to him from the day before so he suggests they go and get a second opinion they meet up with one of his old college buddies to help machi understand just how her dual hand body works oh my god a college in an anime it feels like forever since i see these things yeah they're very rare in all honesty i not many animes, like, actually deal with, like, college life, or at least not many ones that, like, I can name off the top of my head. Yeah. Maybe the only one, at least for my head, is Ah oh My Goddess, where, like, the main character, like, hits up a college to, like, be a mechanic or something, or, like, an engineer. Do but that's, like, the only one I can really name. I could say, like, Kayon does things with college, but that's only in the manga. They never animated it. Oh, Okay. Yeah, not a very common subject. Then again, I guess never really, like, one where, like, a whole lot of interesting stuff happens. Just, I guess maybe for, maybe it's, like, a lot more, like, adult stuff, so people think it's kind of boring. Like, ooh, what am I gonna do? Well, I'm not gonna, like, drink or party like a frat boy, you know, because I don't think those even exist in Japan. <laughs> I guess I'm just gonna study, I guess. 
So we're introduced to Soma, played here by Dave Trosco, who is what Mr. Takahashi would call a prodigy, aka a bit of a weirdo, but super smart. AKA also like the greatest poker face master in the world. <laughs> I mean, because he has an expression on his face it never of like constant wonder that never changes. Also, I don't think he blinks. <laughs> no, I don't think he does. I like to think that when they walked into his office, like, you know, he was kind of like sitting at, at his desk and just staring straight at, ahead. I was like to think that he was sleeping at that moment. There are, like, stone-faced, like, cowboy hat-wearing, like, elderly poker players in America that would play against this guy and get sweat beads on their head to wipe off. Ever alert, Soma has secretly trained himself to sleep with his eyes open. <laughs> so they have a big discussion about how Machi's body works, and here are some key points. First off, she indeed has a neck, as you need one in order to eat, and, and which he's able to do like a normal person. She even mentions that a doctor checked her out and that she does indeed have uh, vocal cords. Also that her uh, neck acts as somewhat of a wormhole which links her head to her body and this wormhole could be the key to harness space and time. Yeah, this guy's really thinking ahead. He, he wants is. to create like time and space travel here. This is very like, very ocarine of him. <laughs> I would I would say that. Mm -hmm. I was kind of checking out a little bit during this point because it got a little techno babbly. I'm just like, well, this is too much science for me. <laughs> oh, come on. I already get that enough from Steins Gate. I don't need this here. <laughs> and finally, the flame on her body is a fluctuation in space, which takes the form of a flame to the human eye. So it basically takes on a form of, of a way which we humans can understand. Holy shit. Like all of this in like one like headless horse girl. <laughs> this is heavy. <laughs> I love how this show is like able to explain like these demigirls in a real world sense and it just it actually makes it logical you know they could have just said magic a wizard did it but no they actually try to explain it in a scientific sense i think magic would have been harder to explain in a world like this yeah but uh, it, it's cool that they found like some semi-scientific uh, explanations for these really cool but they still leave it like pretty much ambiguous so you can probably think uh oh, maybe there is some supernatural things going on here but uh, we'll never really know yeah just maybe yeah it's like it's the mysteries of science here yeah we can believe and this whole conversation is what motivates Machi to want to pursue a career in research in order to uncover the mysteries of dual hands. Oh, you go, girl! Be a science girl! Oh man, I want to, I want to see like a spinoff of like Science Machi doing research on dual Ooh, hands. A sequel series. Yeah. Where she studies Demi's further. Oh, Takahashi's place. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, yeah. I am yeah, selling yeah. you right here. Do that. Have her like be like the next uh, Demi teacher at the school. Anyone who's willing to pay me money to predict, like. Be the showrunner for this. Hit me up. So now we're on to episode 11, the penultimate episode called Demi Chan's Want to Support. With this summer slated to be one of the hottest in a while, Mr. Takahashi starts thinking of plans to make sure Hikari and Yuki can spend this summer in comfort. However, there seems to be a bit of a problem with the vice principal here. You see, he feels that the Demi girls rely on Mr. Takahashi too much and they're not interacting at all with their fellow students and teachers. He also feels that since they become too dependent on him, and this results in Mr. Takahashi also neglecting in the other non-Demi students. Boo! Hiss! Boo! Oh, you just gotta come in and just put a damper on everything. Oh man, we finally got a heel in this story. Or do we? Let's hmm. let's look on. So Satake and Ota see this whole conversation go down, and they recruit Imori and Kimura to discuss how they should get along with the Demi girls. And really interesting part during their whole conversation is when Satake brings up how Demi's are just like any other humans, and Imori brings up how he shouldn't say that. The reason being that you can't just ignore the Demi part of these girls, because that too would be another form of discrimination, just ignoring that part of their personality and who they really are. True, all a part of their all a part of their experience. And this relates back to the conversation between Mr. Takahashi and. 
Himari about how he looks at both sides of these demigirls, their human side and their demi side. And this is the reason why these girls go to him, because he's the only one who's ever done that for them. And they start to realize that they never really took an honest effort to understand the demi side of these girls, and they just all pretended that it wasn't there. It's just like, man, this is deep. Yeah, it's a it's it's a big episode that kind of like uh, factors in the uh, acceptance angle that like the the people around them have to uh, kind of realize, you know, that uh, these uh, that you know there are, there are two different worlds these uh, girls live in, you know, and you gotta accept uh, you, you gotta accept them for both those worlds and accept that like their experiences are gonna be a little different, but you know, there's there's some pretty good positives to that though. Yeah, and also like you just you can't ignore that side of them. You'd have to like uh, you have to talk about it, but more you can't just ignore it. Exactly. So they all come to the conclusion that. Mr. Takahashi isn't trying too hard like the vice principal said, but they aren't trying hard themselves. Though Mr. Takahashi hasn't come to that conclusion yet, as he's still thinking about what the vice principal said, and the Demis know something's wrong when he ends up blowing him off for the day, saying that, like, uh, I, I got other work to do, I don't want to Hey, he's having you. a bit of a crisis of faith here. Yeah. Hikari goes to look for Saki to see if she knows anything about what's going on with Mr. Takahashi, and she happens to run into Satake and the others, and he tells her what's been going on. So along with Saki and the other demigirls, they try to think of a way to help Mr. Takahashi, and Hikari has the perfect idea to cheer him up. So meanwhile, back with Mr. Takahashi, he's sitting alone at the beach, having an existential crisis about the whole situation, when suddenly he gets a message from Hikari. Aw, oh, yeah. Time for another great scene that's on par with Hikari's big moment earlier in the series, where the Demis make a little video for Mr. Takahashi, telling him about how they appreciate him for all the work he's been doing. Oh, yeah, this is the scene we've all been waiting for. Yeah, I'll, I'll splice you that in, too. Someone about my nature. You'll never know what that meant to me. It was so nice. 
You're very kind, but you're also much more than that. Like the time pretty recently when you scolded me for being careless in the hallway at school. You might even say that you were just doing your job like any good educator would do. However, I will say this, that in all my years, I've never had one single teacher besides you approach me so directly as a Doolahan before. So nice work. You're a great teacher. I'm sure you'd be the same to any student, demi-human or otherwise. I know you treat everyone with respect and equality. And let's just imagine for a moment that you didn't even have an interest in demi-humans. Well, I'm positive you'd still greet us with open arms, because that's just who you are as a person, Mr. Takahashi. So anyway, please keep helping us. Not just us, but all the students, demi and non-demi alike, okay? I hope you'll always advise us when we have a problem. And I hope you'll scold us if we do something we're not supposed to. I'll be sure to visit you in the bio prep room as often as I can. Thank you for everything you've done. Uh, sorry I clapped without thinking. Mojikin, you're such a talented speaker. Oh, thanks guys. Okay, next is Saki. Uh, what? Say what now? Stop pushing, Yuki. Jeez, I never asked to be included in this video. <clears throat> oh, hey, looks like I'm here too. Lucky me, anyway. The girls are the real stars, so I'll try to make this quick, okay? <laughs> hmm. Dear Mr. Takahashi, I rely on you a great deal, not only as a co-worker, but also as a succubus. I have nothing but respect for you and admire how you handle everything with such sincerity. Thank you for always helping me, I really appreciate it. And I'll count on your continued encouragement. Let's keep doing our best. Was that too formal? Oh yeah, and if you ever have a problem, I'll be glad to lend an ear. I may still be a new teacher, but you're welcome to come talk to me anytime you need a sounding board. We can totally discuss it as professionals. It'll be great. And, um, I would understand if you don't want to talk like that in the workplace. So, uh... So, uh... <laughs> Let's grab a drink. It'll be fun. <laughs> Just kidding. And this concludes our video letter. Huh? Hey, wait, Hikari. Aren't you gonna go? Yeah, no fair. Come on. God, this is such a good scene, like, it's incredibly sweet and sincere, and also the video brought Mr. Takahashi and, honestly, myself to tears. At the yeah, it's it's a it's very, like, frank and honest scene where, like, the girls are just, you know, like, laying it flat, like, what you, what this person did for them. And it, it really shows that, like, for all the efforts, like, he put to, he, like, put forward thus far in the series, it's, it's a great reminder that, like, you know, it's never meddling to be, like, you know, outreaching to people. It's never mm -hmm. meddling... To really try to help people and be more uh, accept accepted with themselves and with other people and stuff. Just to show that like all of his good deeds thus far were not in vain. And of course, Hikari saves her message for last and tells him in person. Because if you remember from earlier, when she has something to say to someone, she says it to their face. Ah, yeah. consistent Hikari. There you go. And I'll splice you that part in too. doing here earlier i sent you a video message but it was like super huge i was wondering if you were able to watch it and then i saw you sitting here from way over there you can see that far sure can mind if i sit down so did you yeah thank you that was really nice of everyone satakin told me what happened satakin 
Oh. I thought you might be feeling a little bit down. Yeah, I guess. But your video helped. Everyone really cheered me up. It was great, thanks. But still, I think the vice principal was on to something. Like, maybe I was trying too hard. Nah, that's just silly. Uh, Seriously, how do you try too hard? If you're trying hard to move forward, I don't think you can go too far forward. People only say that if they're jealous that they're not moving forward too. But maybe they'll be inspired by your efforts and try as hard as you do. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves way outmatched. And it'll be their own fault for not trying hard enough to keep up. anime in a row we've covered where a character yells out thanking someone for everything they've done for them and how much they care about them. Though unlike Fuli Kuli, Hikari doesn't transform into the epitome of maturity and creates another world inside her head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still sticking with that theory, damn it. That's my theory and I'm sticking to it. That's what happened at the end of Alternative. Gonna just go down with the ship there. <laughs> Watch our Fuli Kuli episode for reference. Mr. Takahashi is just so overwhelmed with Hikari and everyone's kindness and appreciation, he just like really starts to just cry and, and right now just feeling so happy for how they feel about him. And I love his line here where he's like, you're going to make me cry man tears. <laughs> so don't, make, don't make me cry muscular tears. A manly tears. So the next day, Mr. Takahashi goes to the vice principal to tell him what he really thinks about what he said the other day. But the vice principal beats him to it as he will allow Mr. Takahashi to continue his work with the Demis. What changed his mind is that he saw Hikari and the other girls interacting with Satake and the others, so he sees that uh, Mr. Takahashi did indeed inspire other students to help out the demigirls. So it's all good now. See, this series shows that people can be won over in the end. But I like to think that uh, while walking up to the vice principal, Mr. Takahashi had like this big speech plan about how he's going to keep helping these demigirls, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it, but the vice principal just stole his thunder here. <laughs> oh, dude, I thought I was going to be able to fight the system, but you had to be all compassionate and understanding. Ruin my moment. Aww. Uh, I, just... I guess this is okay. Like, oh, man, I just got all this pent-up energy, and I'm just, like, so hyped to really tell someone off, but... Uh, I'm gonna go work out. <laughs> <laughs> gonna go feed the python some more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, at last, summer is upon us, as well as the final episode. Episode 12, Demi-chan's Want to Swim. So, the final episode is here, and so is summer. Well... Summer's here in the show, anyway. We're stuck in the dead of winter here in Minnesota. Oh, yes. It's getting really grimy out here now. Uh, not great. Nice opening scene here as Hikari and Mr. Takahashi goof off a bit where with Hikari taking his lab coat and using it as a vampire cape. <laughs> and I like her line here where she's like, Behold the mighty vampire in her long white cape, flowing in the wind while she searches for her prey. <laughs> and she got it. Yeah, to make like one vampire cape joke here. And she dives onto the table to like grab some like some bread and she accidentally flashes her underwear at Mr. Takahashi. Ooh, Ooh that's not good. 
And then, like, as payback for that, uh, she asks Mr. Takahashi to act as a vampire while she, like, takes pictures and video of him. He's all like, I want to suck your blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, keep up that chemistry. Ikari then asks a favor to see if she could use the school pool that weekend and also if he could chaperone. He's a little worried about Ikari swimming outside considering how sensitive to sunlight she is, so he checks in with Himari to see if it's alright, and she gives him the A-OK. Though not before asking, he explained why Hikari messaged her about him seeing her underwear. <laughs> <laughs> just just can't hold it in, can you, Ikari? You just gotta make things more awkward between these two. <laughs> just gotta just gotta f- just gotta mess things up even more, don't ya? <laughs> So the next day, after having an extremely late-night chat with Ugaki about asking Mr. Takahashi out on a date, Saki works up the courage to ask him out. But then he asks her out first, thinking, saying, Hey, are you doing anything this Saturday? And she instantly agrees, not realizing he was just asking her to help uh, watch the girls at the pool. So the big day comes, and all the girls all have fun swimming at the pool. And, and what did they do? What did they do? They did the swim! <laughs> they did the mods to swim! They did the swim! That's an actual song, by the way. Really? That's, a, that's an actual remixed song done by that original singer there. I've never heard of this. Hey, the guy the guy had only like one trick, which was to sing that song. <laughs> to sing the Monster Mash and boy, let me tell you, he wrote that song to his grave. <laughs> My name is Boris, and back in 62, the Crypt Kickers and I brought the Monster Mash to you. But now it's a different bag and mashing is a drag. When the lights grow dim, we now do the monster swim. All you would-be monsters, come on in. Boris is going to show you how to monster swim. Something like the zombie, but not so slow. A lot like the grave digger, but not so low. We can't do the monkey or even the dog, cause they've both been eaten by the blob. We do the swim. It's a poolside smash. The swim. It's bigger than the man. Oh, he's such an amazing guy. I can't, I can't, I can't really recommend the Monster Swim, but like maybe only like once, really, <laughs> just to know what it's like, just to know what it's like to do the Monster Swim. <laughs> Applies so perfectly here. Oh my god, because we got Monster Girls swimming. So then, at this moment, Saki takes the opportunity to show Mr. Takahashi how she looks in a swimsuit, and he's just all like, "Yes, very cute swimsuit, sexiness overload." <laughs> We'll just got like a sway motion going on here. Like this is probably this is this is probably like both like two barrels like right in his face. So while the girls are playing, Yuki's impressed with how uh, Machi's able to have her body play in the pool while her head stays off to the side, and Machi compares it to like playing a video game, <laughs> which is a nice comparison, I might add. Yeah, I guess you know you're just like controlling it out there. It is kind of impressive. Probably makes you even better at volleyball, if anything, because you got, like, a tactical advantage. Yeah, like, it's very impressive to see, like, how much she can, like, multitask with, like, her head not being on her body. Like, there was a scene earlier in a previous episode where, like, her mom asks her to, like, turn the, uh, bathwater on, and she, like, leaves her head in the living room to watch TV while her body goes off into, like, the separate room to do that, and she's able to do that perfectly. 
So Machi starts to think more about Dullahan legends, and one in particular is how they can't cross a flowing stream, the reason being that if they did they, and they dropped their head, then it would be taken away by the stream. I never thought about that before with Dullahans, but like that's actually really logical. <laughs> it is, yeah. Plus, Dullahans and legends are often considered to be like knights and stuff, so they're like juggling a sword, shield, and their head while on top of like a horse that's bucking and bumping and all that, so like... Yeah, you would think they would, like, at least drop their head once. Right, like, just going across the river, like, oh, fuck! Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I'm dead now. Right, I thought they were, I thought they were just wusses or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you too scared of water, do hands? Oh, come over here and fight me like a man. <laughs> what, water too cold for you? Come on! <laughs> and yeah, this is the reason why uh, Machi keeps her head off to the side, because, like, if she falls into the water, it's, like, game over. Hikari overhears and suggests that Machi should see what it's like underwater, and after getting permission from Machi's dad, she finally gets to go underwater for the first time ever. Ah, chlorine! It burns my eyes! <laughs> yeah, I probably should have given her goggles first. Fuck this scene. Like, I've never opened my eyes underwater and had it be this clear. Yeah, that's like that's like anything with like any form of like anime or any cartoon where like anytime someone goes underwater, they're able to like open their eyes perfectly. Screw that. Your eyes are not lenses that can like see perfectly underwater. We don't have that adaption. <laughs> Just lies to me, like, just ruins my childhood expectations. You are ruining my immersion show. How dare you? All you are doing is just giving me a case of pink eye. <laughs> you are setting me up for disappointment. So yeah, Machi goes underwater with the assistance of Mr. Takahashi and his jacked body. Like, seriously, the dude looks like he hasn't had a carb in his life. <laughs> <laughs> just like looking like he's just had, like, a whey protein diet, like, since his birth. <laughs> this guy makes EC3 look inferior by comparison. And of course, Saki and Machi are just so amazed by him, and I'm just like, same. Oh yeah, same. I'm with you, girl. <laughs> Machi's also amazed by her first trip underwater, and it looks like, and just like the reaction on her face, it's like, oh my god, this is amazing. I know what, I know the meaning of life now. I've seen the face of God. My eyes are so bloodshot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth it. <laughs> All in all, they end up having a really fun day, by the, but by the end of it, Hikari pays for it by getting a wicked sunburn, and I'm just like, yeah, those aren't fun. Oh yeah, feel you, girl. <sighs> the following school day, Hikari's sunburn clears up quite nicely, so I'm guessing she must have spent the rest of the weekend practically bathing in aloe vera. Yeah, just kind of stewing around <laughs> with fans on her. <laughs> I just like to see a scene where, like, Himari has to, like, keep applying aloe vera and going like, oh my god, why, why did you do this? <laughs> Because nobody ever, like, shows that side of giving, getting a sunburn. It would be nice to see that representation yeah. sometime. I've had my fair share of sunburns. Oh, yeah, I've had my whole back roasted one summer yeah. after going down a lazy river. So Hikari runs into Mr. Takahashi standing in front of the school gate, and they reminisce about the day they first met, and she goes on to talk about the relationship she's made since then and how happy she is for all of it. Mr. Takahashi thinks that's great, but sees right through her little plan of distracting him with happy thoughts so that he doesn't realize she's late for school. <laughs> <laughs> Just, she's like, hey, remember that time when we first met? Yeah, that's great. Sign, please. You know, all those good times we had? Yeah, those are great. Please sign your signature on this tardy list. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, can't you let me off the hook once? Nope, sign. <laughs> and this is your third time, so you have to do cleanup duty after school. That sounds like fun. <laughs> Oh, and we God. get a closing speech from Mr. Takahashi about how much he's learned from these demigirls, and that he'll be able to learn more as he continues to interview these monster girls. Finn... Or, or is, is it? it? <laughs> ah, <laughs> hey. On the safe wavelength there. Because what's this? What's this? 
it's extra content here. What's this? It's an original video animation. <laughs> What's this? I can't believe my eyes. Oh my god. Oh my dear. What is this? What's this? An OVA. An early Christmas present. Actually, not early. This already came out. But it's a Christmas present for us. Yes, an OVA called Demi-Chan Summer Break. Interviews with Monster Girls released in OVA the following summer after the series ended on June 29th, 2017, which came as a complete surprise to me as I had no idea they were making one when, when this came out. I know, just like kind of slipping a sneaky OVA underneath us. Like, like what are you doing? I remember like I was scrolling through uh, Twitter one day and uh, you know how uh, Crunchyroll whenever on their Twitter, whenever they like drop a new episode of a show, they say episode of the show has dropped. Here's a link to the episode. Right. And then I saw like uh, episode 13 of Interviews with Monster Girls has dropped and I'm just like, wait, what? That series ended months ago. You pull my leg here? I was thinking like, did they have to delete an episode and they had to like re-upload it and this was just like their automated Twitter system just posting a link and i'm just like no this is this is an actual new episode in ova like any good anime they just had to do us one more solid mm -hmm. and give us one more moment with these girls which like hey i'll take any more opportunities i have to see these girls one more time right i don't think i've ever seen anybody turn down an ova so yeah it's summer break so only the teachers are allowed in school during the day and saki and mr takahashi are practically alone together and we get a little uh, fantasy sequence about saki asking mr uh, takahashi out for drinks and we get a like little bit of a fantasy of her like them at a bar and then mr Takahashi flirting with her, going like, here's a toast to your eyes. Let us toast with our fist-sized <laughs> ice cream balls. <laughs> I mean, ice balls. <laughs> I don't get those in, like, like alcoholic drinks over in Japan. Like, I get it, it's cool. You got a ball of ice. It's very cool and very Inside fancy. your drink. You know, I've played the Yakuza games. They look fucking awesome in there. Yeah. You know, it's... it's, it's, it's I don't need it, like... <laughs> it's kind of dumb-looking, like... Who thinks, like, oh, I need a ball of ice in my, like, glass here and stuff. I don't know, it's a little high and mighty to me. Hey, man, I mean, like, cubes are, like, so last year. You gotta have big balls of ice. Watch the next big craze be ice pyramids. Oh, here to we To clink in your glass. So, yeah, I just love uh, Saki here, just thinking about it, and it just cuts back to real time where she's all like, oh, yeah, that's the stuff. <laughs> just thinking out loud in front of him. <laughs> But uh, Mr. Takahashi does ask her if she's free tomorrow, not for a date, but to help patrol the summer festival, but that might be a bad idea considering Saki can't be around crowds at all. So the night of the festival comes, and Ikari meets up with Machi and Yuki, and they're all dressed in yukatas, and I just remember the first time I watched this OVA, the day it dropped on Crunchyroll, and when I got to this moment, I just got a big smile on my face, and I was just thinking, like, how good is it to see these demigirls again? It's just, it's been almost four months since the show ended, I'm just so happy to see you all again. Oh yeah, it's wonderful to see... As for Himari, she's hanging with Kimura and Imori at the festival. They wonder uh, why isn't Hikari with her, and she's like, oh, I uh, sent her off with the uh, other demigirls so she doesn't have to babysit her. <laughs> and we get like a little montage of the reason why she doesn't want to be with Hikari at the festival is because she always gets so hyper. <laughs> There's like a really great bit here where like you get a montage of like the demigirls walking, and then uh, you see Hikari get more and more food in her hands, and then if you look at Yuki next to her, she just gets progressively more and more done with Ikari. <laughs> I guess with your sis, with her sister, she's just like, you just gotta treat her like a dog at a dog park. You just gotta, like, unleash her, let her go, and hope she doesn't nibble on, and hope they don't nibble on anybody. It's just like, ah, I can't take you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so while patrolling the festival, Mr. Takahashi runs into some familiar faces, like Satake and Ota, as well as Ugaki Sans Kurtz, as Kurtz is off at the Takoyaki booth talking to, like, the guy selling it, like, saying, like, oh, you're amazing, you're the greatest. I give you four stars, five stars even. 
You even rate Takiyaki that well? I mean, it's just better an octopus. And I just like the the so trying to fucking like rate a corn dog. It's a fucking hot dog and corn and and like corn batter. I just like the Takiyaki guy going like, "Yeah, that's nice, kid. Just please, you're holding up the line." And during all this, uh, a person in a bear mascot suit keeps trying to like get close to Mr. Takahashi until it's revealed to be Saki. She wanted to wear the suit so it would uh, hinder her succubi abilities. So Saki in full bear costume takes the opportunity to hold uh, Mr. Takahashi's hand, claiming she can see well, but she ends up like leading the way while they're walking the line <laughs> together. <laughs> I just love the bit before that where like she falls over and going like, oh no, I fell over, help me. <laughs> even more, like she's even wondering like, oh my god, this is like the unsexiest thing ever. This yeah. is like so unromantic. I just look like a person in a bear costume leading some poor lost fully grown man. <laughs> So back with the demigirls, they have some time to kill before the fireworks, so they all decide to go on a little demi-ghost hunt, as supposedly the shrine in the woods are haunted. Ooh. Shouldn't they know about this as demis if ghosts already exist in this world? Do <laughs> you think that would be one of the monster girls we would have in this world? <laughs> and Himari's group is now joined by Satake and Ota, and they also get the same idea. Though Himari's not having any of it, as she doesn't do well with scary things. As seen with an early scene where she was like helping Hikari get ready, and Hikari's watching like this scary movie on, and she's just like freaking out at the sight of it. Now back with Saki in full yukata, nice, she heads back to the festival, but uh, mistakenly goes down the same path the others were going down ghost hunting. And while looking around, Saki seems to uh, bump into someone, but there was nobody there. Ooh. Himari is getting more and more freaked out by this whole situation, so much so that she screams out loud, and Hikari overhears and goes to investigate, while Maji follows along with her, and Yuki tries to follow along too, but she accidentally trips herself up and gets left behind. And I just love her reaction where she realizes she's all alone, and she's like, those jerks! <laughs> <laughs> Gonna sulk now and have, like, my ice powers affect everything. <laughs> so the two groups converge, and they both freak out at the sight of each other, and I uh, like the bit where Satake has his phone out, and, like, he finds Hikari, and he, like, almost blinds her because of, uh, the light. And they're, like, just uh, all freaking out, thinking, like, oh, they just ran into, like, ghosts or ghouls or goblins or whatnot. Well, they kind of did, but not in that way. Yeah, right? like, not the ones they were looking for. The girls end up running into uh, Mr. Takahashi and Saki, and he scolds them for going off into the woods, but everything is alright now, and they make it back just in time for the fireworks. They all enjoy the fireworks together, which brings this nice little extra episode to a close. Or does it? Because what else is there? Yeah, post credit scene a la Marvel, where we're introduced to a new demigirl, the one uh, Saki bumped into at the festival. What's her demi-ability? She's completely invisible, so... Toru Higakure here. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Good old invisible girl here from Class 1A. Though while she's not named in the OVA, she has been given the name Matsuri, and she is played here by China Nishimura. And uh, we do get a little meeting between her and Mr. Takahashi, where he's like wondering about her uh, demi abilities, wondering if she can actually see what she looks like and describe herself despite being invisible. Which is a common thing for like uh, people who are invisible in any sort of media; they can still see like what they look like, while others can't see them for themselves. Right, right. I mean, I don't get how it works, but... Maybe it's like a... Cartoons, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's like a sixth sense sort of thing. Like, you can kind of feel like what you look like without having to see yourself. Hmm, you could. I mean, color is still out for the out in the wind, you know, but... And of no. course, uh, like uh, Toro Higakure, she spends most of the time being completely naked so that she's completely invisible. Creepy! Yeah. <laughs> and even creepier, we get a scene where, like, Mr. Takahashi tries to get a look of her face and he does, like, uh, the thing where, she, where he grabs her face with his hands and that freaks her out, but we do get to see what she looks like. She oh, just... and another, another good monster girl that we could possibly get in the future. Yes, hopefully we get a season two. And so ends Interviews with Monster Girls. So That wraps up the interview. So, final thoughts on the series. 
Um, I gotta say, very likable. There's there's a lot to like about this series. Uh, very cutesy, very cutesy. I mean, I think, I think that's the number one thing people could get into the series for, is just, oh, it's full of cute girls and, like, they're monsters and stuff, you know? Piques anybody's interest who reads, like, any of the numerous, like, monster <laughs> harem series that out there. Like, because mm -hmm. there's a lot. There there's, like, a lot. A there's alien girls, there's horse girls. Monster Musume. Monster Musume. Enough said about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's harpy girls. There's a shitload out there. There is. But I gotta say, uh, compared to all the all of those other ones, uh, this one keeps it incredibly chill. Keeps it incredibly chill, very realistic. Uh, doesn't sacrifice on any of the drama that might come with these girls' lives, you know. Because in an effect, they they are sort of characters that are dealing with um, uh, abnormal abnormalities with their uh, bodies and stuff, and it does affect their their lives to some degree. But they still deal with those differences they have with themselves. They get a lot of support from other people. They discuss them. They, they joke about them. They appreciate them more, the differences they have. And they, um, you know, begin to accept themselves more and um, make some good friends along the way. I think there's a lot of people out there who could uh, relate somewhat to those aspects of the girls. You know, not in having, like, no fucking head. Or, yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> but in having a difference, but in having, like, something different about you that, uh, you know, might might let you down, like, here or there or something, mm -hmm. but um, just takes the right amount... But just takes the right amount of uh, acceptance to uh, kind of help you through, making some... G gaining some good help along the way. I think that really is, like, the heart of interviews with Monster Girls, the, a story about girls uh, learning to uh, deal with and appreciate their differences and uh, making friends along the way. Uh, I think it's a, a fine series. It's well animated, well voice acted. Mm. Um, I can recommend. I would recommend it to anybody looking for a, a relatively chill series with lots of really good, well written dialogue that they could just uh, sit back and relax to, laugh to, and feel all sorts of things. So I highly recommend it. Like, if this series had, like, a chewable arm, this would be, like, a very smooth, like, hairless, not very lean arm that would make, that is, like, as smooth as mochi ice cream. Ah, very or mochi good. ice cream. <laughs> very good. <laughs> and what did you think of this series? Yeah, uh, really, really, really love this show. This is about my fourth time going through it, and I feel it gets better and better each time I watch it. A sweet, sincere, downright adorable show with a lovable cast of characters that just... It just leaves me feeling all warm and fuzzy on the inside after oh, each episode. doesn't it? It's the fuzziest. Especially that ending theme with the little piano trill at the begin beginning of the song. And I'm just like, oh, it's so good. It just really gets you. Hits you right in the feels. And like we said earlier, it's a miracle this show, like a, sh a show like this exists where, where you have a show where it's an average dude being surrounded by a bunch of different monster girls. And it's not at all creepy. It's not a creepy harem boner show. And the guy has an actual identifiable personality. <laughs> yes, he's not like a stand-in for like some audience. He's not an onion surrogate or anything like that. He's an actual well-fleshed-out character, Mr. Takahashi is. It's not until now I realize how refreshing that is. It is. To find out there. So yes, another big perk for anybody out there looking to give the series a yeah. try. Also, that reminds me that uh, Terry Doty, whenever she like uh, talks about the series online to any uh, newcomers who haven't seen the show, she has to like reiterate that this isn't a creepy show. It's very sweet. Don't let the, don't let the uh, preconceptions of like these monster girl shows ruin this for you. Yeah, a few risque jokes here and there, you know. But you gotta expect that they're all like fun, tongue in cheek. Yeah. 
the dub is freaking phenomenal. Love each of these performances to death. I love Chris George as Mr. Takahashi being the big man with the heart of gold. Morgan Garrett as Saki is amazing and how she's not only able to pull off being sexy, but also being sexually frustrated at the same time. And she has some of the best line deliveries in the show. I especially love moments where, like, her voice, like, breaks and she kind of squeaks some of her lines through. Drunken Saki is Drunken Saki is, like, the best. I love that scene so much, <laughs> as awkward as it is. Uh, Machi will go down as one of the cutest characters in the show and one of the cutest Terry Doty has ever played. And also one of my favorite characters she's ever played, too. I love Sarah Wiedenheft as Yuki, especially when Yuki comes out of her shell and becomes more relaxed around the characters. Because that's when she really starts to shine, in my opinion, turning into a bad joke-loving girl with a dry sense of humor. And of course, Bryn April as Hikari. What more can I say at this point? Call up the anime police, because she stole the freaking show here. This is one of those rare animes where, like, the question, who is best girl, is mm. irrelevant. They're all best They girl. all are best girls. Like, if each of them had their own anime, they would be best girl in that anime. Oh, yes. And of course, Hikari will go down as my absolute favorite character Bryn April has ever played, as she knocked it out of the park and then some. She even said many times that Hikari is pretty much her in real life, and I think that just made the performance even better, because when, when she's recording, she's just basically being herself right there. Which uh, kind of reminds me how, like, you know, people say in wrestling that the best character you play is yourself cranked up a bit, so I feel that... Maybe this can apply to, like, other forms of acting as well. Oh, yes. I can't wait to see more of what she's got coming up in the future. Also, if she's like that in real life, she must be a joy to be around. And if there's, like, any anime award in the field of excellence, then Bryn April totally deserves this for this performance. You deserve it. <laughs> you deserve it. Oh, yeah. Keep on rocking forward, Bryn. And, of course, these performances aren't possible without an amazing director like Jade Saxon or a scriptwriter like Krista McGuire. They make an absolute great team, these two. Put out a phenomenal script here. The overall writing and storytelling is just so good, really smart, creative too. Love how they're able to portray these legendary beings in a more real world setting without having feeling out of place and like actually making it work in the realms of like real world science and logic. I appreciate them not sinking to the same juvenile humor I would have sunk to sunk to yeah. with my inappropriate <laughs> jokes. <laughs> if you wrote the show, this would be a mess. It would be, I fully admit that. <laughs> Also, great messages about from the show about how people can learn by watching this and applying it to real life when it comes to, say, like, person of a minority group or people with, like, dealing with disabilities. You can apply, like, a lot of them lessons in this show to oh, I agree. like that. Definitely. I can I can go on for days about how much I love this show. And There's so much you could break, about, break apart about it. Also, it's like, we've only ever had these, like, uh, 12 episodes in one OVA, and I'm just like, I want more. Like, the manga is still going on. They have material to adapt. The show right, rightfully deserves another season like that really annoys me in like a lot of anime where like they get one season but they're based on like a manga or a book or whatever that's still going to this very day i'm just like what are you waiting for there's more material keep going right right i mean granted granted for some like they'll say one punch man like mm. there's way too much to adapt that comes after that one mm. story but it, but like yeah come on get on interview interviews with monster girls yeah because like there's a lot of shows that are based off like manga or books that continue to get seasons, and they're absolutely dreadful. They don't deserve it at all, but, like, shows like Interviews with Monster Girls absolutely do deserve to get continued on more, and I really hope it does get continuation in the future in anime. Here's hoping. And also, I feel that a lot more people should watch this show, because I don't think I've seen a lot of people talk about it online. Watch these monsters. Monsters! <laughs> See these monsters, one, two, three. Fresh <laughs> new way that's trouble-free. It's got anime babies, guaranteed! <laughs> Guarantee void in Tennessee. 
Please just watch. Please just watch. Please just watch. Please just watch. See, you're not the only one with the song here. You had everything set up. Thank you very much for joining us. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias, at Mikey Shiota on Twitter and MikeyShiota.tumblr.com. And where can we find you, Ryan? You can find Ryan at WolfishGrin on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr, but spelled differently. Follow the show's Twitter at Anime underscore Bebe. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y-B-A-Y. Check us out. Retweet us. Do whatever you like. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to AnimeBebePod at gmail.com. That's AnimeBebePod at gmail.com. As mentioned on this show's Twitter page, we will be doing two episodes this month since I was out of town for most of November. So look forward to our next episode in which we will be talking about Yuri on Ice coming later this month. Oh, yes, and I gotta tell you, with, like, interviews with Monster Girls would have been perfect for October, but, like, we just missed it, you know? But, I gotta say, nice to have a nice Icy Chill series to review next. Should be another good one. Oh, yes. A gay old time. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, and this has been... Anime, baby!